the football pod on OTB Sports. I think they'll have too much. I didn't hear a word you said in the last 45 seconds. What? Breaking news here on the football pod. The football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jumbaland! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You are very welcome along to episode 9 of the Hurling Pod this week with James Skehill because James Skehill, Paul Murphy, has abandoned us to go off on a safari. I think something you did while you were on honeymoon as well. I'm sure it's a very nice trip but Murphy, despite the fact that... His poor wife had to sit through the Munster Championship Games on Sunday because he brought his iPad with him. <laughs> is now in absentia when we sit down a little bit late to record. I, I, I don't know if there's any uh, getting away from this. Murphy's let us down. Yeah, he's not a team member anymore, Will, is he? <laughs> he's putting his priorities ahead of us anyway. <laughs> but I, look at, I, I would imagine, now I'm, I'm hazarding the guest here, it'll be his only honeymoon. <laughs> so, so I'd say he better make the most of it while he's on it. He'll do well to get back with the wedding ring. We all saw the picture that he sent at one point where, you know, the champagne glasses were out and they were in the complimentary robes which are handed out by the fancy hotels that the fee that we pay Paul Murphy um, allow him to afford. (laughs) And there he was with the feet up on the bed watching the game between Limerick and Cork, which is something we're going to be having a look at now in a moment because... I don't know, look, to set the scene for the listeners and for the watchers, James, it wasn't, in my opinion, a brilliant first weekend of Championship Hurling, but we had some intriguing games. And that goes for, we'll talk about your own county, Galway, throwing away a six-point lead against Wexford. That should have been two points in the bank. I think you should have been home and hosed even by half-time with the way the Galway hurled. And Waterford getting the job done in a slightly different way against Tipperary at Walsh Park. And I think given their poor round-robin record, that was really important for Waterford just to get the win. The nature of the win doesn't really matter. And now they go up to Limerick and they've got a yeah. pretty much free hit at a Limerick team who we should probably start with because Limerick are back. This is the Limerick team and the performance we saw, particularly in the second half against Cork, that we expected to happen. And yeah. for the second year in a row, you can almost brush off what Limerick did in the league because that championship side of Limerick are the team to beat this summer, aren't they? Yeah, look, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's business as usual. Um, and like when we spoke on the podcast last week, you know, I, I had mentioned that I was expecting a Limerick victory in the in the region of eight, nine, ten points. And, you know, at the time, probably people thought that I was a touch mad and that I was probably not being very fair to Cork on the back of their own league campaign. But when you add everything up and you say, right, what have Cork learned over the last couple of years now against Limerick? What have they put in place in terms of personnel, in terms of positions, in terms of game plan? which we'll touch on in a moment, have they changed all those and, t- and turned them around to actually modify their own game and modify their, probably their game, their historical game, which I'll, I'll explain in a second, mm. to neutralise Limerick and overtake them. And I couldn't find the answer to that. I couldn't say no. I couldn't say yes, they have. You know, they've put all the, the blocks in place to try and build something that would overtake Limerick. Um, because, you know, everyone can talk about physicality, and, but that's non-negotiable when you play Limerick. That's, that's rule number one. You have to match them physically, whether it be through fitness, condition or overall strength. And if Cork managed to do that, then it comes down to the game plan and the smarts. And I just couldn't see Cork doing it. And the results that that ultimately materialised didn't surprise me at all. 
Well, I don't mean to simplify this, but my first thought when I was watching the second half, particularly once Limerick really got on top, about kind of five, six minutes into the second half, after that, they were in complete cruise control. Cork scored one point from play in the final quarter of the game. Like from the 38 minute on, Cork scored only five points. One of them, a point from play from Patrick Horgan. The rest were free scored by him. So that just gives you an idea of how controlled it was for Limerick, even if they didn't maybe add on a few extra goals to really extend that margin, which they could have. But I kind of thought watching the game, particularly when I saw the nature of the Aaron Galan goal, where he finds himself in miles of space in behind the Cork defence, and Cork had pushed way too far out on their own attacking emphasis defensively he puts the ball in the net even Kyle Hayes is able to dance through there were different times when Gerard Hegarty probably could have kept going as opposed to laying it yeah. off for a point all these moments reminded me of the All-Ireland final last year and we said this early in the pod when we were talking about Cork and Limerick I think in the very first podcast we were wondering if Cork had learned lessons from the All-Ireland final that it wouldn't happen again if they met in championship that Limerick would run so rampant yeah. the reality is that the blueprint was almost like the All-Ireland final with what we saw at the park on Sunday. Like, if you if you join the two games together, you'd say it's the same game. You know, in, in terms of the way the game was played out, in, in terms of how Limerick attacked them, uh, the, the way they created space, and I have to say the way Cork defended. Like, I, I have to say, I have to tell you, if if for if for the, the Galan goal, that that situation developed and I was in the goals, just my own personal opinion, I am in the goals, I am screaming at my defenders to get back there, regardless of we've possession or not, because we all know today's game it takes a turnover is a millisecond and then a pass as you seen to, to Galan is a second so you have to have yourself covered and above all places to cover you cover the D you do not have anyone free especially someone of Galan's quality and, and you don't have a man between them i.e. your own defender between you and between him it's absolutely criminal the Kyle Hayes goal was criminal you know again I have to say if I'm, a, if I'm the Cork goalie I am screaming at one of my defenders to put Kyle Hayes in his hole simple as that meet him at the earliest point of contact out near the stand and bury him you know simple as that you do not let him I have to say stroll in Will he strolled in a nice easy turn full two lads strolled in 30 yards imagine he was able to he was able to carry the ball 30 yards without anyone being able to close the gap on him that's how far away Cork defenders were you know if you sense danger the first place you sprint back to is to mind the house and the house is the goal and I didn't see any Cork defender and I know it was, no, it was noted, noted I noted myself when I watched it in real time about in, on the Kyle Hayes goal Tim O'Mahony is, is jogging back yeah. like he's, he's on your wing first of all you have to get back there and you have to nail him and well, that, that was like, that was like the league final James I was there yeah. watching the game yeah, yeah, yeah. when this happened where there were different times and like the Cork full back line took a bit of flack after that I thought it was unfair because it's about more than that and what happened in that game too is that the Cork half back line and the Cork midfield at times were not at full tilt when they got turned over or when a team won primary possession and spun and went towards goal yeah. and like I appreciate that for the Galan goal particularly people are going to say look it's a turnover these things happen but you've got to have someone particularly when Galan is the type of forward that generally occupies a member of your full back line yeah. you've got to have someone between him and goal and you've got to have someone who's watching him like you cannot afford to have one of the best forwards in the country to be in open space in behind your defence Absolutely criminal. So I put, I put this into context for you. Do you, know, do you know we're all talking about players nowadays when they're attacking um, the goals? Uh, or you're, if you're a team and you're attacking, you're looking for support runners. You're looking for the out ball. If you if you meet a uh, if you if you engage, if one of the backs engages it, you, you turn to your right, or your left. You've got someone there to pass the ball to. The principle is kind of the same in defence. If you've got let's say a corner forward who's attacking you, you're engaged with the corner forward. You're looking for assistance from your left and right. You know to kind of block off that forward. You're looking for lads to come back and everyone to funnel back to give you a hand to stop to basically stop anyone getting towards your house, getting towards your goal. Cork don't do that. They never do it. And I, I can't, you know, it's like when you do what you always do, you get what you always got. And like, this is their, 
oh, I don't know, well, I'm going to hazard a guess here and say probably their fourth or fifth instance over the last couple of years whereby they've, they've conceded a number of goals and conceded an awful lot of position in the full back line with no back cover. And I'm just wondering, what are they training? What, what are they doing actually when they assess their video analysis and when they look at their, their positioning group at, at six and three specifically and when they're assessing how they're going to line up against teams of limited quality, what are they putting in place to notify it? And I, I, again, from my perspective, in my own playing career, you'd find the answer. You'd say, put numbers around them, touch tight, get really physical, foul them when you have to foul them, you know, and make it a real dogfight with them. And that doesn't happen. So I'm wondering, what, what are they doing? You know, what, what way are they training? And look, the open game is lovely. And we know we've, we, we've associated that with Cork for a long time. And people seem to get confused sometimes when I use the word softness. I'm not talking about physicality. You know. Anyone can be tough like throwing a shoulder, but when things get really tough, really, really tough, and that's what happened in the, in the game the last day, and things go against you, toughness and hardness is being able to you know fight through it and and being able to nullify someone's best strengths you know and it's, it seems like that Limerick have Cork's plan A sorted and so when Cork t- can't get their plan A into action their plan B they're not able to put it into, put it into motion at all and like that that's that is so obvious when you see defenders and the goalie in the Cork back line and they're tapping the ball back and forth and I don't blame those because they have no options up, up, up front mm. they have no movement up front they have no one creating a bit of space or or um or even kind of dictating where the ball goes. Because, yes, people will say the defender puts the ball down in a certain place, but he doesn't dictate where the ball goes. The forwards dictate where the ball goes. So if a forward makes a specific run, it automatically makes you put the ball into his path to put the ball to him because it's such a good run or create space. What's happening is the Cork defenders and the Cork goalie is looking up. They see nothing. They see pure statues, which is so frustrating as a defender or goalie. And then they have to retain possession. And then what happens oh, after a couple of seconds, they come under pressure from a turnover and they end up having to fire it down onto a 50-50 ball, which is Limerick's bread and butter. Criminal. Look, in fairness, so often that ball didn't work out. And this thing yeah. about Limerick, and this is where you got to give Limerick a little bit of credit too, where, again, Limerick looked very much on it. And we were wondering what maybe those few weeks without a game was going to do for Limerick. Could they be, yeah. you know, potentially a little bit rusty? Because understandably, Cork, even though the league final didn't go their way, had a very good game against Kilkenny in the semi-finals. And realistically, it should have been well-primed for championship. But that Kilkenny, that's, um, sorry, I should say, that team that came down was Kilkenny, they played in the semi of the league. Limerick, slightly different to Kilkenny. It was like an extra layer of intensity that Limerick put on and that's why they get turnovers and that's why you look at like look at how good Dermot Burns was could you really hope for a better performance from a half back like bombing over balls from freeze but also winning so much possession and using the ball so well when he got it too like for me the two players who probably made the massive difference for Limerick were Burns and Garrod Hegarty who we talked about earlier in the league and maybe hadn't quite fired in the first few games Hegarty was on it at the weekend yeah but the truth were on it like who, who scored Limerick's first three points you know, when, when things going yeah. so well, Burns scored the first yeah. three because, like, you know, Morris hit a couple of wides, Lynch had one drop short, you know, and it, it took, takes their wing back to score the first couple of points. Again, if you're if you're trying to develop a game plan against Limerick, and you're looking at their half back line, you'll say it's a platform line for Limerick, wouldn't you? In fairness to them, it's a platform line for them. So you're saying the best way I can neutralise them is engage them. So engage them as best you can, and take them out of their positions and run them around the place and get the ball to their markers. So let's say, for example, Jim and Burns is marking Robbie O'Flynn, you know. If I'm, if I'm a Cork midfielder or wing-back, I'm looking for Robbie O'Flynn in every position bare where Jeremy Burns would be and make Jeremy Burns follow Robbie, Robbie O'Flynn. You know, make, engage him. Engage him in defensive duties because ev- everyone associates him with you know, the odd high ball, which is fantastic, and all the shooting. But like defending-wise, you know, I, I, I don't associate Jeremy Burns primarily as a defender. I associate him first and foremost as a shooter. 
you know, and as, as a guy launching attacks for Limerick. So what, what do I want him doing? I want to see can he defend. I want him going back to his own goals, and I want him to be ran at. That's that's what I'm looking at, and I'm thinking to Cork, why don't they see this? You know, why don't they get Jimmy Burns off his wing, get Hannon out of the centre, you know, put a big man, two or two or three big men around Hegarty in close his space, and you know, frustrate him is the word I'd use there. Right. And again, as I, as I said a few minutes ago, four or five times they played now, and they haven't put that into place yet. You know, but they're alone. Like they facilitate. And I, I know it sounds very damning. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to go in on Cork here. But I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, when you've had so much time and reflection after our final to put something in place that can take down Limerick or at least test them a bit more, obviously, why don't you do it? You know, why don't you put something specific in place to take down Burns? Like take down Burns, take down Hayes, take down Lynch. They're the three guys for me that you have to neutralise. To a certain extent, you can manage Galan, you can manage their midfield, you can manage their full-back lane. To an extent. What I mean by is you can win some, lose some. But if you let those three, those first three three big guys you know, take over the game, you're not getting the better of Limerick. You know, uh, that's the frustration as well, James. Yeah. The fact that right, Keen Lynch didn't have his busiest day on the ball. Um, generally, like he's usually a game changer. And like All-Ireland final last year, he got on a merciful amount of ball and pulled the strings for Limerick. And yeah. he, he probably won of his quieter games. Was still effective, but yeah. wasn't maybe standing out as much as Hegarty was. And Mulcahy had a quiet enough game too. Like you've taken out probably two of their players were quiet enough. So that probably helps if you're going to try and neutralise this Limerick team. But then Burns had run the pitch. Kyle Hayes, slightly different position. You know, moved around, moved back maybe into a position where yeah. he was used before. That has to say something about the structure of the team as well, James, when it comes to this. Because we've debated about, like, Cork have got too many stickmen and there are too many nice hurlers there. And remember Owen Cadigan was talking about maybe Coleman needs to play further up the pitch and maybe they need yeah. to find guys who are, you know, who relish defending to play in their defence. But Limerick can put passers and stickmen into their defence. Their half-back line has been all about recycling possession and being very good going forward with the ball. But structurally, Limerick are able to defend. Yeah, that's first and foremost, though. Their structure is fantastic. Mm. So their, their training methods... And, and their, their overall, like, the, the drills they do are centered around game-based scenarios. You know, everyone can do touch drills. Everyone can do these lovely drills that look fantastic with a million cones on the pitch. But from what I'm led to believe in, in, in the Limerick situation is that they do an awful lot of game-based scenarios. Everything they do is centered around how do we react and be proactive in the game. So they, they, I suppose, introduce drills that will make the defenders act in real time. Act in, you know, how do I react? Or how do I do with this, deal with this situation? You'd often hear Bill Belichick talk about it in, in the Patriots. He says that we're excellent at situational football. So it's the same way with Limerick. When you look at them, Declan Hannon is excellent. And I, he's the best number six by a mile. Now, this is a, you've Declan Hannon at the top and then you've everyone else way down at covering his full back line, at being the out ball for his full back line, at being the, the main man to offer uh, a ball from his five and his seven and, and to offer a back ball from his midfield. He's excellent at it. Like he's... I, I thought when I first heard him at being number six going back a couple of years ago I kind of questioned the decision I thought Jesus is he, is he the right fella and I would have assessed him thinking possibly he's the weak link in the Limerick team as time has passed on man he's been he's been absolutely tremendous you know, the way he facilitates that defence and he's a key cog in the wheel of that defence is fantastic that is what Cork needs in their six now Mark Coleman's a beautiful hurler probably be more suited to the wing or midfield role maybe even a bit touch up further up the field but in terms of again that situation defensive system He's, he's, he's not it I'm afraid and I, I don't know is it a case that you stick with him and try you know get him used to it have Cork got that time oh, Munster Championship is a dog eat dog championship I don't know like what's the answer for Cork I don't have the answer for you I don't have I genuinely don't have the answer for you because like when I'm looking at their, their defence I'm saying who do you put to six I said last week is it Kieran Joyce you know probably is but then you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in a different position you know 
So it's they've got a lot, a lot of questions to answer. But you know, in terms of your question, Limerick are so much better structured than everybody else, and that's the baseline of their whole foundation. That's, that's their foundation. Their structure is fantastic. They when you introduce good players who can produce moments of genius like Hegarty can and Lynch can, etc. You know, your structure thing looks way better than it actually is. But Cork have to get structure first, get game plan, and then try and uh, try and put the players into to, to execute it. Yeah, I think when you mentioned the fact that they're able to deal with in-game situations, all you have to do is go back, same venue, Munster final last year, Tipperary all over them, game should be dead at half-time, Limerick dusts themselves off and find solutions, and then come yeah. out and absolutely bomb in the second half. And are exactly. brilliant. It was probably five minutes before half-time, really, that Munster final they came back. But second half particularly, they were incredible. Rolls-Royce yeah. hurling out of that team and just the intensity and pace they play at as well. Again, similarly at the weekend. A team could have been rocked by the fact that the ball is in their net 16 seconds into the game. Like pretty much first attack, Kingston puts the ball in the net. And Cork started the second half quite well too. I saw Fintan O'Toole from the 42 had it up at one point that if the game had been blown up with just the seven minutes either side of the first half and the second half, Cork won the game by 1-6 to no score. But yet Limerick dominated the game for the rest and probably the last 25 minutes. For, for me, it was just control watching it. Yeah. It was like that Limerick team, if they needed another gear, say if Cork had come back and landed another blow, they didn't look like scoring a goal in that period, but if they had, I Limerick could have went up the other end and got another goal. That's the kind of yeah. control that they were exerting. And some of those yeah. players that come on, like I'm thinking of O'Neill. Now, it's unfortunate for him because he's been very important for them during the league Colin has yeah. played a lot and he's now become I think close enough to a starting option for that team in the half forward line he came on which means he's not going to be playing under 20 for Limerick for the rest of the year because Limerick seniors are going to go a lot further than the round robin so mm-hmm. he comes on and that you know disqualifies him for that so his focus is now on senior but we talked about Limerick's options earlier this year if they can bring in a genuine starter like that it's just adding that little extra bit of depth. And even maybe the depth was about finding guys who could rotate. Like you look at Casey going in a cornerback, you look at Hayes going into the full forward line. Mm-hmm. They're finding solutions within their panel as well, James, to just give a few different options when they're required. Yeah, it's huge. And if I go back a second from something you picked up in earlier when you said about control, um, you know, like I was looking at that game and the first five minutes in the second half, and brother in law was watching with me and he was saying, just, just go, go to the wire. And I said, give it five more minutes. Limerick will figure out what Cork are doing and they'll win by 10 you know and if you look at the game Limerick figured out what Cork were doing and they won by whatever they won by so what so, did they figure out in the way that Cork were playing that actually changed it around then so Cork wanted to play a possession game everybody, everybody knows that right and so what you do is you put Cork under so much pressure in their forward unit by man marking and covering a bit of space so if I'm let's say now you're on the on the number 2 corner for Cork well your shortest method of delivery to the, to the forwards is down your straight your own line so if you look up at number 2 and you see every back is touched tight and then you see two or three forwards coming towards you but you also see a spare limit defender which I'll come to in a second covering the line of which you're going to hit it to you're going right I can't go there you turn back you know what I mean you hit it to your three you hit it to your four the spare limit defender shoots across next thing he looks up and he sees touch tight and a spare limit defender that, what that does then is shuts down all your options everything then becomes 50-50 so the only way you actually, I suppose, create success that is you do it through pace. You do faster and faster and faster. Your puck out gets faster. Your deliveries come way faster. So you don't allow Limerick to create structure. If you give Limerick structure, you're best. You know, if you allow them time to implement their own defensive system, you're not going to you're not going to do it. And like I said last year about Nicky Quaid, when he gets the puck out out within seven seconds, Limerick's probability of shooting a score goes up sixty percent. You know, because you've caught the team off structure, which Cork were fierce guilty of in Ireland. So that's what I mean by control. They Limerick got the defensive structure in place fast. They asked if, if if they scored themselves Limerick or they had a wide, 
they, they reset extremely quick and when the when the sharp ball went to, went to Cork's two, three or four or whatever, they uh, basically they, they did it's hard to explain now without a graphic. The first man pushes towards Cork, Cork, Cork defender, but the second man goes to the next Cork player, so the Cork defender can pass through, and then it becomes a bit of panic for the defender because he's no out ball. You know, so they're, they're very good at a collective press. They don't just press the ball carrier; they press the guy who they believe the ball could go to. And then what happens also is that if if I go back to my example in the two corner, the worst place you want to put the ball is across the pitch at a diagonal, heading towards the far wing, because then your mid your opposition midfielder or opposition centre back will cut it out because there's too much of a war zone. So that, that's how Limerick do it. They structure themselves so well defensively that they put the other team into panic. And once that happened, Cork couldn't get the ball to their forwards. They couldn't get it. And what happened then is it sacked the life out of Cork, sapped the energy out of them, and the whole movement stopped in the forwards. That's, that's how that happens. That's just going to show, though, how Limerick have actually stepped it up in a month or so since they met the last time. Because yeah. we were praising Collins and the way that they were moving the ball about, and they were actually giving Limerick a bit of a runaround at the Gaelic grounds in the yeah. first half of that game. And I, I know things kind of went to chaos because of the red cards, and it's difficult maybe to judge the second half of that game. But I remember we were talking about and we were saying, geez, they moved the ball really effectively, Cork, that day. They were actually able to yeah. make loads of space, and we were calling Collins a quarterback because of the way that he was moving yeah. the ball out, and it all worked really well that day. Well, Limerick were able to shut it down. It's like Limerick were able to get back to that championship level again for the start of championship. And maybe that just goes to show they were maybe just a little bit behind the other teams in their preparations early in the league. Yeah, and go back to your, your previous question about building a squad. And like, you know, Cotter O'Neill, yes, it's unfortunate, but like we shouldn't we shouldn't have our focus on John Kiley bringing on Cotter O'Neill. The focus should be on the rule itself. The rule is shite. It is. <laughs> it is. Like, we all played. Like Oshin Pepper came on for, I think it was 90 seconds in the Wexford goal. And gone for Wexford. And he's an important player for the Wexford 20s. Now, don't get me wrong, he's going to be a very important senior player and I'm sure that Pepper's going to play an awful lot. It's not just going to be a sub-role for the rest of Wexford's round robin. Yeah. But for him to come on for a few minutes, to block and play in a Leinster quarter-final this week is an awful shame. Well, it's terrible. Like, I think Cork are playing... Um, are they playing Limerick this, this Wednesday? They sure, are this week, yeah. Yeah, so Limerick are playing down the Park Green this Wednesday and Cotterine is missing for Limerick. And when you consider how just about they came over Clare... And Cotterley was the main instigator of getting over Clare. Mm. He's an awful loss to Limerick. And like if you're if you're if you're the under twenty players and you're seeing one look, let's be honest, your best player is out. Isn't like a kick in the teeth, isn't it? It's so bad. But I fully understand what Kylie and Knurk are doing with O'Neill. They brought him on at a time when Cork when Cork were probably at a low edge. Limerick were obviously in full control of the game. It's the best time to give the young fella his championship debut, introduce him to the system, see how he operates in the structure, and give him some things to work on for the weeks going forward. You know, that was the best time to implement him. Probably if the if the game was the absolute melting pot, you might have seen him, you might not have seen him. Mm. But I know people are, I've seen comments online and they're kind of, you know, they're throwing a bit of shade at John Kiley for bringing him on. Why did you bring him on when the game was in complete control? John Kiley, like, I know if I'm him, I don't give a shit about the twenties. I, I, all I want to do is win their Ireland with the seniors. That's the premier team in the county. When it comes to inter-county hurling, the main team is the senior. Every other team feeds the senior. It's different at club. It's a much more collective ethos and club. You know, when you have to. When you go to senior, junior, the club is much different, which I can explain if you want me to. But county, everything's aimed at senior. So everyone feeds into it. And whatever he is to do to make sure that Cotter O'Neill is fit and ready to make a run, fits into the system, is accustomed to it, is accustomed to the way the guys play around him, he must do. That's why I believe he brought him on. But it's easy, it's easy, it's easy to throw shade and say, oh, why'd you bring him on when you're hammering cock? I, look, about that. I think if I was one of the half dozen players who come on at the weekend I saw someone at a list out I think it's six players became ineligible last weekend uh, having played for their senior teams 
I would say the vast majority of them probably want to play for their senior team. Like, particularly if you're O'Neill and Limerick are going as well as they are right now yeah. and they're a medal accumulators at senior level, you don't want to end up in a circumstance where maybe he goes to a Munster final, say, with Limerick and misses out playing with the Limerick seniors in two or three of their most important games of the year. Because if that happened, he wouldn't get on against Cork, he wouldn't have played against Waterford in yeah. two games in the round robin, could get more difficult to play later in the year. And look, also, I think when it came to this rule, I think it was well-intentioned. It's now the time to have a look at it. But it was intentioned to try and cut down on workload before the season was moved back the way it is now. Because the way the split season now works, the senior is actually overlapping with the 20 season a lot more than it did previously back in the day. So even when it comes to the under-20 football, there are some teams now who've got, say, their sides are going well in the under-20 provincial championship right now. Football championship's about to start for some teams last weekend this weekend you know we're in the middle of the start of championship season and those under 20s are sticking with their 20s teams so they don't become ineligible but still the senior management would love to have them available I don't think when that rule was brought in it was ever intended to stop lads who are probably training with the senior panel and going to play under 20s from being able to play 20s so I think from that point of view it probably needs to be looked at and then as you say it's an awful shame for the lads who came on but still you know the small consolation is you are locked in with your senior panel for the rest of the year and that's probably the most important thing as a goalkeeper Keeper. How impressed were you by Nicky Quaid's save? I mean, Quaid makes some obviously very important saves in recent years, and I think back to that Cork Limerick classic when he, you know, managed to flick the hurl out and makes a crucial save. But it's not that you know, with the way the deficit went to the weekend, it's not like it was a game-defining moment. Yeah, but that'll be one of the, one of the saves of the summer. Uh, I I can't express how difficult that is. You know, like okay, everyone sees the shot, everyone sees the save, and they go, all right, he just reacts to the shot. But for him to Look at the shot coming, have, read where it's going to go and shift his body weight, get the hurl up all within a millisecond was it's unreal. It's one, truthfully speaking, from a reactionary perspective, it's one of the best saves I've, I've ever seen. You know, so, solely from a reactionary perspective, how he was able to put all things into place within a millisecond to react. Because we could all stand there and be dummies and the ball fly past us, but for him to shift his body weight, get the hurl up, you know, assess your man's body shape so, he, so Nicky puts his body towards it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, again, hard to illustrate without a graphic, but he was trying to read the shooter to say, right, he's going to go to my left. So Nicky initiates going to his own left and then he initiates the hurl up. Jesus, just class. <laughs> I mean, it's, like that just takes hours and hours of practice and repetition, repetition and training over the last like, number of years. It all culminates in, into producing what he produced there. Unreal. Yeah, because if you're the Cork attackers, what usually happens there, particularly a goalkeeper has to kind of shift his weight to go back over the other side, he's not going to have the wrist to be that strong to be able to flick it over the bar in the way that he did. Usually Correct. that ball's going to come back out and someone's going to have a chance running in to get a second chance to double it into the net. But somehow he manages to get that much strength. Like, it's remarkable the skill of some of these players, and sometimes we take them for granted ever so slightly, but people probably saw the picture of Keane Lynch, who, I don't know how he got so much flexibility on the hurl. I actually thought that his hurley was broken down yeah. around the grip when I saw the picture, but actually it seems to be just the way the hurl is flexed. Yeah. But he's got a reverse grip. He's on one knee, and he's still able to control that shot. It makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> sure, like, how do you explain it? So how, how do you explain that? Like, How does the man train? He doesn't train for that. You don't see Keelan on his knees in training. <laughs> you know what I mean like you don't see him on his knees practicing shots that is pure instinctive and that's the beauty of the game when it comes to players like him you don't train that you don't try force that on anybody you let them off to their pure natural instincts that they you know they've, they've nurtured since they're children and they produce moments magic like that that is just fantastic and like if I go back for a second just on the shot the shooting on the mm-hmm. shot that Nicky saved you know I was looking at all the games over the, over the weekend and I was saying the best goal finish of the weekend was 
Johnson's goal up in the awfully Antrim game. Cheers for reminding me of that, but yeah. I, no, sorry, no, I have to say it. The reason being serious, is... serious finish, though. Yeah. As he's going through, he puts it on the opposite of the goalkeeper. So Johnson was hitting with a left-sided player. Every goalkeeper will tell you, as, as you're looking at the guy coming to you, right, he's going to my left because he's, he's going across the body. But Johnson puts it the opposite way. So the goalkeeper has no chance. He's, he's, he's potentially saving it went from 90% down to zero. You know, even Galen's shot the, for his goal where he bounced the ball into the, into the ground like I'd be screaming at our lads at home in the club because when we're doing shoot practice on me they were putting the ball in the top corner on the side net because they're under no pressure it looks beautiful and I'd be screaming at them you, you won't do it in the game lads because you won't have that time like you won't have even the wherewithal I'm going to put it in the top corner I said bounce the ball in front of me every time and your your chance of scoring increase by you know, 50-60% because it just becomes a bit unpredictable so like even that finish, you know, and that's that was Cork now two weeks in a row, two games in a row that they missed a golden opportunity hitting the ball at mid height. That like that can't happen again for them in the future. They have and they have the lesson, to fix that. The lesson should have been at the other end with the way that Waterford finished in the league final because we mentioned in the pod uh, after the league finals that they scored four goals and all four of them were made to bounce in front of the goalkeeper. Yeah. Even the one where Desi Hutchinson is kind of reacting in mid-flight to his shot. They clearly have been practising this and we're talking yeah. about like Waterford's efficiency in front of goal when they get chances to raise green flags are remarkable. They're really, really yeah. good at finishing and obviously it's something they are very conscious about going in. That doesn't happen by coincidence that they're finishing from distance with that yeah. type of finish. Rem- remarkably good at it. Um, we'll talk about Waterford in a sec because um, I thought Tipperary contained them quite well. I think Tipperary have a lot of good stuff they can take from it but just want to ask you about because we were kind of chatting a little bit earlier about what you would do with a problem like Limerick so say you've got all of these players who can move around and the fluidity of their movement and the interchange makes it very difficult to track runners and everything else mm-hmm. but fundamentally if you're Kieran Kingston or you're any the other teams now in Munster who are trying to stop this Limerick team so we'll primarily look at the next few weeks mm-hmm. how do you set up defensively to stop that forward line getting ball and manufacturing the chances they did like last weekend starts in your forwards straight away it starts not, not from everyone would, would say from 1 to 9 it starts there it does not it starts from 8 to 15 those guys working back the way <clears throat> I say with Limerick if you give them the opportunity to pass the ball around and get Declan Hannon on the ball coming forward and get Barry Nash coming forward and those guys you're in trouble straight away you want to get their out ball and get, get the feeder ball that they issue, issue into their forwards to be as low a percentage as possible you want as many 50-50 balls landing into your own defence as possible and the only way you, you actually put that into practice is you put as much pressure on the Limerick top top set of the, the Limerick backs. Too many times we see, like, I'm, I'm laughing as I'm thinking about it, how many times do you see Declan Hannon sauntering out there with 30 yards in front of him, pops a little 30-yard pass to Will Donovan or Darren Donovan, and actually swings into a corner point. And it's just, it's amazing. But that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is your efficiency on the ball, your own efficiency has to be huge. Limerick will base an awful lot of their game on turning you over and then creating chances when the pandemonium happens. So when you, when you get turned over, you have to react to obviously being turned over and turn into a defensive mindset versus offensive, which is what Cork don't do very well. They do it very poorly. They're too slow to react and turn from an all-out attack to an all-out defence. But if you are efficient with the ball, and Watford are very efficient, and in a bigger pitch, they'll be, be even more efficient. So they hold the ball fierce well. An awful lot of ball goes to hand. They have an awful lot of sport runners. So you're engaging Limerick straight away. You're not allowing them to get numbers around the ball because the ball's at your feet or it's on the ground, you know. And it's what, like, I know Paul Gannon, who's, who's a good coach, he uses the term, Will, of shared affordances. So the better ball I pass you, Will, the more chance you have to catch it. If I give you a bad ball and you've touched on the hurl, that millisecond allows a Garrett Hegarty to come in and tip it off you. And next thing you have pandemonium created when he gets the ball run at you. 
So you must be extremely efficient. You must create clear lines of passing for your own, your own guys. You can't be going over Limerick or around them. You must get yourself into positions whereby you can get a clear line passing and then run with them. So I, I think if you're trying to take down Limerick, they're, they're very good structurally. They're obviously very good individually. They've got, they got some of the best players the game has seen. You know, they've obviously got momentum from a championship perspective and, and they've got the, 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 the knowledge on how to win a game. So you must engage them everywhere else. So get their backs going going back to their own goal, get them defending, which is what they don't want to do. They want to be attacking the whole time and get their forwards defending also. You know, don't have their forwards on the ball running into space. Get their forwards contesting 50-50 balls uh, and as soon as they get the ball in their hand, hit them. Hit them really, really hard. You know, and if you have to give away a freeze, you know, so be it. That's why I'd be targeting Limerick and as soon as I see a runner coming through, I'd be asking Dahi Burke, meet Kyle Hayes as hard as you can and wherever you hit him in the shoulder, take him down just hit him See, as hard as you can I think Dahi Burke would give away the free happily and would take a few points having to be put over by Galan or by Burns to keep the scoreboard ticking but I think most teams and this is where Cork were inefficient defensively last week yeah they don't like to take frees they don't like to give them away and oh, we saw geez. that in the league final too the, 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 that, that's missing that little bit of kind of dark arts that little bit of what's required and I, I'm telling you if Paul was with us right now I would compliment the Kilkenny teams that he played on for doing exactly that. Yeah. We like some of them lads relish defending. Oh, we, we played Kilkenny uh, in, in... I just when I mentioned Dahi, um, that's why I use him as an example because I can remember well. Walter Walsh was coming... It was the group game, a round-robin game in 2018. Uh, Not to get off the beaten track, I want to ask you about that game because there's a picture of you and Walter Welsh actually scrambling <laughs> on the ground at one point. What did you say to each other? What happened as you got so angry at him? Are we going off topic there, are we? <laughs> no, no, no. But, but do you remember what happened? Because I found I was looking for some, uh, oh, some I, photos of you and Kenny last week for the pod. And it was you I, and Welsh wrestling on the ground. I did. <laughs> what happened there? I think I think what happened right was so he was running through with the ball and like mm. he was coming, like he was coming towards the goal now, Will. And I don't know. I, I didn't have to tell Dahi, but Dahi went himself and Dahi shouldered him straight in the chest. Right. You know, like which. I'm not going to say it's, it's the right thing to do. It was, it was a dangerous player. Like he could trip the man or whatever, but he shoulder him hard in the chest, you know. And a bit of a shimazza started. And I think we just, I probably ended up just asking Walter how he was. I was thinking, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering how intense the sledging was when the two of you were quite intense at each other on the ground as well. Oh, it's just, we'll, it's one of those when a picture catches it, you go, I'd love to know what was actually. Oh, jeez, actually, I, I, I'll tell a quick story here about John oh. Henry. And he denies it to, to, to the. To, to, to this day but on my father's grave right the row took anyway and Hanbury comes in and hits, hits Walter a bit of a jostle right and Walter goes Walter says something to Hanbury and Hanbury goes right he points over to the corner flag he goes you and me in the corner princess let's go <laughs> right <laughs> and this is the middle of the row and I just started laughing I couldn't I couldn't believe Hanbury says to Walter he goes you and me in the corner princess let's go like that's how mad some people are to be in these in these rows. Sorry, I had to tell that because oh, one of those memories from those games, hilarious. But um, look, go go back go back to the point for a second. That's what Dahi would do, you know. That's what that's what Dan Morrissey would do. Uh, that's what Liam Ryan would do. That's what they do in the story. Ronan Maher do part of Marta. And that if that's not in you as a central defender, you shouldn't be a central defender. And I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, you'd be dirty, but you have to put your body in a position that you can't let the man pass into goal. You can't let him free, willy-nilly, win around by you. Like, if he's going to get through you, he's going to have to bloody earn it. Yeah. 
Well, I remember chatting to Kyle Barrett at the 2019, you know, the morning after the All-Ireland's been won. Uh, I was deployed down to the hotel in Ballsbridge to cover Tipperary. Mm-hmm. We're having a bit of a chat and uh, we were just organising interviews and whatever else and he was among one of the early players that got up and came on to talk to Snow to BM. Wasn't the easiest thing to do because naturally the first question was going to be what happened between you and Richie? Why did he get sent off? You know, did you go down a bit too easily to get a red card or whatever else? Mm-hmm. And the impression I got from chatting to Kyle was there's a guy who loves defending and there's a guy who loves making it difficult for his opponent and you need those type of players on your team to mix it up a little bit every team needs someone like him absolutely they're essential you know if you look at the uh, if you were to ask anybody to assess any team in the country and you ask them who's each team's most important player 99 people out of 100 will pick a forward they'll always pick a forward but I I'd be always going to back <laughs> like, like I know everyone will say to me who's the best player you ever played with and I, I will say Kenning to be honest but Dahi Burke is a very close second very close and for the level of importance that he offered to Galway over the last number of years was huge and like you look at Tipperary who's Tipperary's best player you'll say probably Owen Kelly but Parik Maher is up there as well in the chat you know you think what he done as a defender and the way there's more pictures of that lad with blood you know spewing out from for putting his head in, in, in places where you wouldn't put the hurl that's the kind of man I want on my team you know the same with the John Gardners and the, and the JJs and these lads like that they're lads that are absolutely essential it looks lovely when the ball's going forward we're all going forward with the ball in hand but with the ball isn't in your hand and you're defending as a unit and you're putting bodies in the line that gets as much energy into a team as a goal does you know, well, on, on the opposite side it's one of the things I love about Park Mara when he retired because everyone obviously goes back through the video clips and you know nice things are said about defenders and to me he was a, a generational talent but you look at some of them and it's at one point he loses his hurl against Waterford and the ball is out by the sideline and realistically you're a defender you just go back and get your hurl not even in his mind he runs over with both hands jumps Superman style to try and block the ball and what's at best probably a 10-90 kind of shot from the sideline that's going nowhere near the goal anyway but Park Mara's first intention is to try and block that he doesn't care what part of his body he uses to do so he will go in there do the dirty stuff even though he was a lovely silky hurler going the other way with the ball too You you need that mentality if you're going to lock down the best teams and before we talk about tip just with Cork we all picked them last week to qualify. We all kind of thought the three were going to be in no particular order, but probably Waterford and Limerick top. Limerick, Waterford, Cork were going to be the three that would qualify in Munster. Mm-hmm. Do you now start to think that there are real doubts about Cork qualifying? Because Cork's home game at Porky Cueve goes to Semple Stadium against Clare. Mm-hmm. They're still probably going to have to beat Waterford and Tip maybe. They'll have to get a win against one of the two if they're going to qualify. Are there doubts now about them getting out, James? I, I think doubts is, is, is one way of putting it but I think if I'm an opposition player particularly from a tip or a player I'm thinking I can, we can get these lads you know we can get these lads if we mix up a bit of physicality you know energy and get I suppose get into Cork you know we can turn them over like I myself had Cork ranked as third and I said that they would come out come out of the Munster Championship uh, I, I'm now thinking that Clare coming in under the radar there hasn't been a, a dicky bird spoke about them you know Tipperary coming off the back of to be frank about it, a pretty good performance against Waterford in a, in a tough place to go, uh, in, in a tight tight pitch, and, and they put up to Waterford for the whole game. So I think Tip can take great confidence out of the way they, they hurled against Waterford, and especially the way they fronted up against a team who who have so much momentum behind them at the moment. So I'm telling you, are there doubts? Yeah, there's doubts. 100% there's doubts. And there, you've, you've got two big counties now coming down, looking at Cork saying, we're going to take you, coming at you. And looking at Cork thinking, they're probably like a wounded animal at the moment. You know, because they've shifted a very big loss against Limerick, obviously. The last championship game they played before that, huge loss against Limerick. So in, in championship terms, 
you know, let's keep on them. If, I, if, if I'm from Clare, I'm saying let's put my foot on Cork's neck and step on it. It's that simple as that. You know, I know that sounds very rough and ready, but that's the way I think they should go at them. They should be just looking to hit them with absolutely everything and knock them out. Yeah. In championship terms, it had to be in Waterford's mind the fact that the last two times in the round robin, they had a miserable record. Now, mm-hmm. flip side to that, the two knockout championship years, Waterford did very well. Got to an All-Ireland final, got to an All-Ireland semi-final. It's just been in the back of their mind, though, that they hadn't gone well in the round robin previously. And... Like with the way the Tipperary played in that first half, Waterford come through by four points in the end, 224 or 220. But Tip at one stage were leading by 1-8 to two points. And Tip got 1-9 of their 1-11 in the first half was from play, which was a, a really good return uh, from Tipperary. They were keeping Waterford quiet. They'll be delighted. Terrible news for our hurling fantasy team. We both had Stephen Bennett as captain going into this game that he didn't get to score outside of freeze. He got 10 frees but didn't score from play. Yeah. So much to like from a Tipperary perspective about that performance at Welsh Park. You know, yeah. Mark Keogh steps up at a time when Callanan's not available, scores two goals. Um, probably they'll feel maybe that Waterford could have went down to 14 men and Kylie could have been sent off. I don't and know. I, I don't know. We'll talk about that one in a second. But for, for yeah. Tipperary in a more general sense, I think they come out of that game probably feeling reasonably happy about it because it's not that long ago that they got blitzed in the last 15-20 minutes against Waterford in the league and we were all anticipating it was going to be a very difficult day for Tipperary but a lot of what Tipperary would have wanted to function actually went quite well at the weekend well let me ask you this Will in your opinion did Tipperary stock increase at the weekend yeah I think so 100% it did in my view it did yeah and it increased against a team whose stock is currently at the highest Mm. so if you're coming away from that game you're saying Jesus like that's that's impressive like it really is impressive and I know people who can look I, I myself was thinking this is the weekend that Walsh Park is a tight spot it's very easy to get into a, a man versus man game you know down there as opposed to a, a wide expansive game and that's what Tip made that really well in the first half especially in the first half whereby Watford got off to a good start I think they were 4-0 up after 7 minutes but then they went into a man versus man game shut down the Watford puck out and made it a battle and they just stayed at it they put in a real workmanlike performance wasn't flashy like it wasn't unreal whereby a couple of forwards were skinning Watford it was a kind of a 15-20 man effort that you'll have to come away as a, as a group of players who haven't had a game in a couple of weeks and say they're happy with their performance you know and really target the next game and they've got a game now this weekend <coughs> against a clear team who were probably a touch cold but again tip, tip at the same time I'm not talking about both sides of the mouth here they can't just rest in the laurels and go and, and go right we've We've our bit done now. We're warmed up. We'll, we'll take care of Clare because Clare are in the exact same position now as Tipper in last week. They're baying for blood. First game, like Wayland's coming out of the shed. You know they're mad for road. Say <laughs> so. Like you have to be, you have to be ready and right to meet that and meet it and nullify it. But Simple Stadium is a different spot than Watch Park, so it'll be interesting to see. Will Tip play a more, you know, a wider game, a more space game, a possession game, and but again, central to all that. And I have to mention him. I have to say it, Norm McGrath. Jeez, he, was, he was brilliant. Like, he's such a, like, again, I, I talked about Noel Maher, or Park Maher, excuse me, uh, as being a generation player for Tipperary. And Noel McGrath is in the exact same bracket. Like, what? Just a brilliant performance in tight spaces, especially. He was the perfect man to be on tight to Burka from an attacking perspective, you know, because, like, I think he shot, was a short four points he shot with? Yeah. Know, shooting from England. And, like, he played remarkably well. He occupied De Burka very well in a way that De Burka wasn't <laughs> occupied a few weeks ago in the league final too and that makes a big difference because the Burke yeah. is so key with how they distribute the ball out and if Noel McGrath is keeping you honest at the same time you've occupied one of Waterford's best players yeah like and Tyke de Burke is, is he's excellent going forward I have, to, I have to say this and he's excellent going back so if Noel McGrath occupied a space kind of between the 45 and 65 out there and he orchestrated a few a few attacks you see the Jason Ford 
that should have been a goal you know in the first half Norm McGrath was the kind of the assister on that Norm McGrath popped out a few balls like he he shot a few balls from outside his own outside the, the wall for 45 so Ty Deburka couldn't cover the goal as well as he usually does he, like if Norm McGrath pushes up in Burka or pushes back to Burka and he's on the kind of wall for 45 heading towards the, the wall for goal when any, any attack happens Deburka is closer to his own goal if Norm McGrath is out towards his own 50-60 yard line calling for the ball or an up ball Deburka has a decision to make do you know what I mean? Does he go back and hope that lads are covering him? But Norm McGrath was so smart. He didn't stay static in one spot and allow a Watford midfield to cover him. He kept moving across the line and looking for the out ball, which is, again, it's very, very smart. It sounds great in theory. It sounds like something really easy to do. But to put that into actual action on the day of the game, look at those pockets of space and get the ball and shoot it over the way Norm McGrath did, is exceptional. So if Tipperary are going to take down clear, Norm McGrath is going to be central to it. Yeah, no, 100%. I think some of these um, more experienced players have to step up even a little bit more. Because we, we've talked about it a million times. You lose both the Mars and the experience, quite aside from the talent that both of them bring to the team in the case of Park Mar and Brendan yeah. Mar, you're losing like a decade plus of experience each within that team where they've been playing in key areas and sectors of the team. And now it's just taken away at the one time. It's very difficult when that happens. And there's been yeah. that argument around Tipperary, James, that Liam Sheedy was maybe a little bit too slow to introduce some of those young players that we got to see that actually flourished in the championship at the weekend. But at the same time, I can perfectly understand where you get caught in this awkward position where 2019 he had a group of players that he entrusted in and they put in one hell of an All-Ireland final performance against Kilkenny they were brilliant mm-hmm. that day and even during that whole year that Tipperary team did a fantastic job you go through the Covid year you go into 2021 Sheedy probably knew he was coming towards the end of his tenure anyway it's perfectly understandable that you would go back towards some of those players now though with some of those who have now stepped out new players come in it's going to have to be someone who is already part of the group that's going to have to step up. And mm-hmm. we'll talk maybe about the impact in the Waterford players in a moment, but I'm thinking even Dan McCormick came in and played really well for Tipperary during the game. He's got to be pushing to start against Clare this weekend. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Dan McCormick was good. Everyone would point to Mark Keogh and said he was fantastic. He was. He was great. He took his goal chances when they, when they materialised. Like, Dan McCormick is the type of player that uh, everyone needs. Like, if, if you look back in the in the 2010 kind of 2014 time for Tipperary you'd, I would have always said Tipperary's most important player at the time not the best player but their most important player was Bonner Maher he did all the dirty shite up the forwards you know he was turning over the, the backs he was turning over Les he was run, doing the he, hard yards he know. had a very different profile as well to the other forwards that they had where Bonnemar's first priority was never say to shoot Bonnemar yeah. would be a worker and Bonner would actually carry the ball and next thing you can lay the ball off to Larry you can lay the ball off to Callanan or whoever else is there to do the finishing but he adds that little bit of variety to the attack you know, and I'm sure that's exactly right. what you're going to say about you're Bonner right, my friend, because if you give Bonnemar a ball outside the 45 there's a strong chance it'll drop into the goal it won't go over the bar do you know but if you put him running at you there's a strong chance something's going to come off him and he was so good going forward with the ball in hand how he used to keep the ball I, I don't know it's a different story and he was so good going back towards his own goal turning over that so he, the type of him well, my point is a workman like like a workman like player like him is so important to a team it allows others to flourish it allows you know the normal grads like we just spoke about the Mark Kios first so, so you can't underestimate their importance, importance. like a Sir Donnan we used to have for Galway you, just, you needed him and you needed Johnny Glynn those lads to you know, hit lads and run after lads and who can block and tackle to allow the Cotton Mannings, Conor Whelan's, Joe Kennings to flourish. So, Chip need those guys. So, I think Dan McCormick, for me, is a starter. He has to be a starter. And I understand what, what Colin Bonner is trying to do, introduce new players, you know, trying to get championship minutes into them, whatnot, to try and flourish a team over the next 18 months or two years. But you do, you do have to have guys like, like Dan McCormick, I think, starting and, and putting in the best 55 minutes they can possibly 
into the tank and then bring in the younger players to try to finish you up, finish you out. Um, but again, look, I was impressed with uh, Hogan's back on the goals again. He did well. I thought he did fine. Um, I thought he had absolutely no chance. Two goals in fairness, very little he could do. Um, I thought Quigley full back equipped himself pretty well. You know, I, even from a, from a guy who's new from a championship perspective, his body language is very good. I have to say, you know, he looked like he was he belonged at full back and he was well able to throw his body weight around. You know, I thought Bo was doing okay at the time. Keogh was excellent. Uh, Jake Morris still, I'm still waiting for Jake Morris to take off. You're, still, you're looking at Jake Morris. You're going, when is this guy going to turn into the lair? You know, it was probably it was probably people in Tipperary probably looking at him saying he's the next lair. I'm still waiting for him to really take over a game and really become that marquee forward for Tip. I think they need that sooner rather than later. But again, overall, I'll go back to, I'll go back and say it. They put in a pretty good collective performance, which they can build upon. And you know, like they're facing a clear team that's coming in a bit cold, but will also be relishing the ch- chance to come down to Simple Stadium, especially after the last time they played them in the Munster Championship. Yeah, I agree. I think most of us would have had tip in fourth when we were trying to pick our three to qualify. And now, yes, if yeah. you're a Tipperary fan, you're probably thinking mm, Cork didn't look great on weekend one. Cork can now sit in the sidelines. If Tipperary can get a result against Clare, then it puts Tipperary into a really good position to qualify. So yeah. that game becomes so, so important this weekend. For Huge. Waterford, the importance of getting the victory. I'm wondering if it was important for them to win a little bit dirty as well. Because the last two games, they've won so comfortably. The Wexford game in the semi-final of the league and then to go out and hurl the way they did in the league final. Now, maybe, on reflection, how loosely Cork played, that might change our reflection slightly as time goes on with how Waterford played in the league final. But still, got the job done, and we're very impressive over those two games. Won both games comfortably. We were talking about all the hype and the expectation that builds up because of the way they've been hurling in the league and the results that they've had so far this year. There's a game they had to grind a little bit. You're going to half-time, four points down. You go out and win that second half. You bring on players like Ozzy Gleeson, who became important to come into the team. And winning that way might actually please Liam Cal as much as playing some, if they'd played champagne hurling and won comfortably at the weekend. Yeah. Like, do you know what? You can train everything. Most parts of the game. You can train fitness. You can train strength. You can train catching, shot-stopping, you know, shooting on goals, etc. You can train all that. And you can do that through, and you get better through repetition. You cannot train how a team reacts you know, in a very, very tight situation and in a game they're expected to win. That doesn't come through training. That comes through being in the live situation and reacting to it. You know, you can't, you can't replicate that in a training game. Just can't. You can barely even replicate it in, in a league game. In the heat of a championship game when teams are going toe-to-toe and you're only a point or two up against a team you're supposed to be, six or seven up, you know, and you grunt out a victory, that is worth more to you than probably a 10-point victory, you know, than a drubbing of a team. So, like, for them to come through that game and in the manner they did and for them to come, come to that game in the manner against Cork I would you know be saying they're fairly evenly matched now in terms of uh, in terms of where they're coming in in terms of form in, in terms of headspace because um, Limerick weren't really really tested I know there's parts of the game you say where Cork were drawn with them and you know it was, it was close on the scoreboard but really it wasn't really a test you know, it wasn't really a, a game whereby they had to really grind it out had to had to kind of come together as a unit and bring in replacements and get them to create a, an impact on, on the game. That wasn't that type of game at all. But Watford game was certainly that game. The the the, the what they got off Jimmy Barron, what they got off Ozzy Gleason, what they got off Villa Daly, you know, those guys like that they came in and they really influenced the game. They didn't just participate in it, they influenced it, so they changed the direction of it. The first three balls and the first three scores that, that Watford got in the second half, who was the man that was there to get them? You know, or, or even turn over a ball, Ozzy. So that's how important it was, you know. So again, I, if, if I'm Watford into next week, an absolutely 
Titanic game next week. You know, I'm actually looking forward to it. I can't wait to see this game because, like, we're here talking about it and we're trying to create every scenario and create where's the headspace of each team. Let's just sit back and let's see how they go at it. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to. The only thing about this weekend, I would love, would have loved if Limerick or Waterford had lost last weekend just as a neutral <laughs> so that there was huge danger going into this yeah. fixture. Because then, you know, someone's got to win and the team who loses is behind the eight ball if they'd lost two games. That would have just had that bit of extra spice. Mentally, all the players are going to want to win. But also at the back of the mind of everyone going into this Saturday night's game, there's party that has to think this could be the first game of a saga. They could well meet in the Munster final again. They could well meet in the knockout stage of the All-Ireland. This might be the first of three. A bit like Kerry and Mayo this year when they met in the league final. Part of you is kind of thinking, if things go to script, there's a good chance they meet later in the year with the stakes a little bit higher. But still, mm. for me, the, the appetite is still wet because we didn't get to see Waterford and Limerick play in the league this year. So this is the first time they're going to meet since the Bale of Hayes game back in the semi-final. So yeah. I, I'm ready for this. I, as a neutral, I'm question. really ready to watch this game. I hear your question. Let me ask you this question. Go on. If Cork were getting the better of Limerick last weekend, would Limerick have said, ah, be all right? No, because that's not the way that Limerick team operates. No, it's not the way Cork... They go to win everything. It's not the way Waterford either, operate either. You know, and I know Limerick and Waterford coming together. Like, as I said last week, it's a movable object for the top force at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. man, for, put Munster Championship aside. Put our Ireland series. Put what's coming the month on day. Man to man and team to team, they're going to go at it. And I'm telling you, they're going to go at it hard and heavy now. So the referee, who's a Sean Stack, is going to have a job in his hands, right? Because they're going to go at it. The crowd are going to be rapturous, and I guarantee you, Waterford are going to travel in their droves, you know, to, to try create a bit of balance in the crowd. So you won't have, like, the normal five, sixes to one ratio for home versus away supporters. You could have, like, a, you know, a pretty even keel up there because they're going to they're going to fill the place, I think. I, I think there'll be a, near, near a capacity crowd. I, I sure as hell imagine there would be. And you're going to get two teams who are going to go really at it. Not because they're playing a specific championship game, but because Watford are facing a Limerick team that have taken them down twice in recent years. And Limerick are facing a team that are coming for their throne, coming for their crown. So that's why I'm looking forward to it so much. And yeah, the that happens beyond that. The significance is there, though, as well, where this Watford team haven't beaten this current Limerick team in Correct. a meaningful fixture. So therefore, there's an importance that they want to prove for everything that they've achieved over the last few months. And look, we compliment Waterford for the way they've hurled over the last couple of years under Liam Cal, but they have to beat Limerick. They're going to have to beat them at some stage um, if they're yeah. going to win a Munster or an All-Ireland title. And that's, if you're going to lift trophies, you can't afford with this Limerick team to think that someone else is going to take them out. They'll have to be able to beat them in a one-off game themselves. Yeah. So that has significance. If Waterford beat them, that gives you the belief that you've gone to their home in the Championship and beaten them. There's no reason you can't beat them when it goes to Thurlis or Crow Park later in the year. Also for Limerick, this yeah. is a chance to put the upstarts down and almost to reinforce the idea that this Limerick team has Waterford's number. That even if Waterford can beat everyone else and even if Waterford are adding squad depth and we talk about like how are they going to pick whether Jamie Barron or Ozzie Gleeson start this week and who comes out with the team if they're going to come in. Limerick send out a proper message if they can beat Waterford. Like you imagine if Limerick go into their little break having beaten Cork away from home and having beaten Waterford. That sends out a serious message not just to the teams around them but also directly to Waterford by beating them again too. Yeah, like I watched, an, I watched a documentary about Muhammad Ali a couple of weeks ago and he said that uh, when George Foreman hit him as hard as George Foreman could and who would have been obviously a, you know, a, a big power puncher at the time and Ali took it Foreman's face dropped it's like his mojo was taken you know so if Waterford come at Limerick now and they give their best punch and Limerick take it and punch them back and knock them out 
that's damaging to a team. <laughs> you know what it is? Like, it's like being the heavyweight boxer and you give a lad the best punch and he takes it and keeps coming back at you. Jesus, you're thinking to yourself, can I actually take him down? Am I able to take him down? So if, you, if Waterford wins to get a grounds next day and they'd throw everything at them, and which I think they will, they'll throw the whole lot at them, the kitchen sink the lot. And if they may turn them over and still win the game, that's, that's damaging is probably, the, I don't know if that's the right word to use, Will. I, I think it's a tough, it's a tough hurdle to get over than after that. You know, you'll probably get over the rest of the teams in Munster, but if you meet Limerick again, that will be in the back of your mind. You know, the next time you beat Limerick will most likely be in a Munster final, I'd imagine. Uh, and like, jeez, oh, so, so you're not meeting them too far away. It's not, we're not talking about three months' time. We're talking about a month's time, you know, give or take. And jeez, that, that'll be fresh in your head. So that's a tough one. So I think in terms of importance, I do believe Watford have to win this game or at least be extremely challenging because the last two times they've played Limerick, the game's petered out both times, to be frank. You know, they, they resulted in victories that probably the, the margin was was fair, you know, six, seven points each time. So, uh, but if Waterford can get down to a situation whereby they win the game, draw the game, or lose in a fashion that is, is extremely tight, that that's that's a positive. That's a huge positive for them. So, yeah. so and kind beyond that is... Kind of reminds me of what we said about Tip from last week against Waterford, where Tip come out without their reputation in any way diminished because of the way yeah. they hurl against Waterford. Similarly, I think if Waterford are toe-to-toe with Limerick, and a bit like the game at Welsh Park at the weekend, if it's in the melting pot going into injury time, and Limerick win, then Waterford will say, look, we're nearly there. The gap is closed. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, we're not in a position where Limerick were comfortable in the All-Ireland final a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's where A game is on if we meet again. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I don't know how to call it because I know people will say to us, go on, predict the game or whatever. I think if Limerick hit their level, I think Limerick are still a little bit ahead of Waterford. I think that was reinforced in my mind with the way that Limerick played last weekend. Yeah. Well, I've watched Waterford so many times this year and if Waterford again get right up to the pitch of the game, I think these teams are tighter and closer now than they were at any point over the last three years. Maybe the proof in the pudding will be how they perform this weekend. For me, Limerick win, but I won't be totally surprised if Waterford go out there, get back to the level they were, say, at the end of the league, that type of hurling, they could give Limerick a right good rattle. Well, let's, let's match it up for a second. <clears throat> Who's going to take Glenn? Probably Clarence Gleeson. Probably on a man-marking job, you would he think. Does, he doesn't care for Glenn. Yeah. So he, he'll go after him. You know, they look at the kind of the wing backs in terms of power and strength. Strength, excuse me. Like you've got Lines, you've got Fagan, you've got these lads. They're, they're not going to care for Hegarty or Morrissey. Mm. Then you've got a midfield that's like in, in, in the sense of Jimmy Barron is back. You've got Ozzy, Ozzy there. <laughs> they're not going to. Do you know what I mean? They, they can match up with. I don't know. Does someone like Fagan potentially match up quite well then with that Limerick half forward line? Because you know, we spoke about their physicality and you know, they yeah. can drop ball back in. We didn't think Fagan's start of the year was going to be wing back. We would have all thought that Fagan was going to be a wing forward again this season. Yeah. He adds that little bit of extra physicality and bit of extra height if Limerick are going to drop ball into that half. Yeah, Fagan does Irla Daly as well as look, he's a well conditioned young fellow, Irla Daly, you know. And like if you're, look, if you're assessing them solely for the, the, the duty of taking Morrissey or Hegarty, they're, they're well primed to do it. They're, they're not good big lads. I don't think you'll see anything drastic out of Warford like moving a prunty out onto, onto Hegarty. That just creates too much, you know, disorientation in the Warford defence. So I think st- they'll stick with the Fagans, the Lions, you know. Uh, Lions are better probably suited to Morrissey at this stage, but. They, ha- they again we're, as we're going through our numbers there like they, they have the players they have the clientele to take them and so you've got great workers in, in, in their in their their 10, 11 and 12 so look at the look at the job Curran's doing at the minute and Prendergast is doing and Darrell Lines like, they're doing great jobs going forward and super tackling so and I, I look then you're going inside line and Desi Hutchinson is going to cause awful hassles for them yeah you know and then Bennett doesn't care like he has that even when you play against him you know he has this real kind of don't care attitude not give a shit attitude of who you are do that kind of way so like he has this kind of a bit of a mean streak in him which I love about him uh, and so he'll take either Finn or Casey he don't give a shit so I think Watford are going to match up 
better, obviously now, than where they were a couple of years ago. And that's why I'm so I'm so looking forward to it. I want to see how this Waterford team, who are on the Crystal Wave at the moment, yep. you know, they're riding the Crystal Wave here, get on against the Limerick team who have uh, who are back in business. Well, Jamie Wall made a good point, I thought, a few weeks ago, and I think in a roundabout way, you're kind of thinking more towards the same line as I am, that Limerick are probably going to win, but this could be a cracker. And the point that Jamie Wall made, look, he knows players from both camps and he's been managing away in the college in Limerick too. He said one of the great things about the fact that Waterford are now scoring goals is when it comes down to a one-on-one meeting with Limerick, their problem has been trying to keep up with Limerick's scoring rate because Limerick mm-hmm. pop over so many points. He was like, you score three or four goals and that scoring rate, which is required, comes down quite a bit. And there's mm-hmm. goals within that Waterford team and maybe that might be the way that they can rock this Limerick team is if they bang in a couple of goals, next thing Limerick have to chase back. Because Limerick's, I think their first instinct is always to be happy enough to keep the scoreboard ticking over. We even saw it at the weekend. Yeah. They'll take scores, they'll manufacture, they'll recycle the ball around. That's not a criticism of them, but their first instinct isn't like Waterford to go for green flags. And maybe that might be just the clash of styles that might make for a very interesting yeah, match too. And maybe it's a necessity as well. Well, like, no, it's not, there's no maybe about it. It absolutely is a necessity. If I was to call the game right now, I do believe Limerick are going to win it. Mm. And it's the type of game, it's so, so funny. It's the type of game where I'd say Limerick could probably win by a point or two. But they could surprise us and just produce this performance and they beat Waterford by six or seven. <laughs> That's what they're capable of, you know. I just don't think Limerick's ceiling has, yet, has, has been yet seen. You know, I, I don't know, have we seen the absolute best of Limerick? whereby they've produced and look at you'll say they, they produced a total performance in the Ireland final last year but if they produced a 70 minute performance like they did in the second half against Tipperary Jesus God knows what they'll do to a team you know is that even possible so I'm jeez yeah Waterford for me to beat Limerick you're going to have to score in my opinion minimum three goals you have to you have to and if you're scoring three goals again you're going to have to match that with at least 20 odd points 21, 22 points at least you have to be nowadays playing those lads. You have to be getting over the 30, the 30 mark. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to take them down. It's like I remember Portumna when they were in the, their best form in Galway. Like it was the same way. Like if you were to beat them, you had to score something ridiculous because they had such good firepower up front. You know, it was so hard to defend them. You had to just change your tactic and say, right, well, let's go, let's try score more than them. You know, and too often not teams didn't do it. But Limerick is the same way. If you're going to beat them, obviously score more. But the scoring rate is so high. You have to score specifically goals because you won't get as many opportunities out the field in terms of shooting possessions to go for the points that they get. Yeah, I'll hold my hands up. If any team this year scores 30 plus points and beats Limerick, fair play to them if they can do that. But I think if yeah. Limerick are going to be beaten, it will require goals to do so. When it comes to Clare Tipperary then, because Clare come in now, a bit of a longer break because they didn't have a game in the first round. <coughs> but as we kind of mentioned at the outset, if you're Brian Lohan's management team, you probably watched last weekend and you say, all right, Waterford can be contained. We've seen what Tipperary can do. We have seen Cork's deficiencies defensively. Maybe Clare come into this now under the radar. Nobody talking about them. Injuries have been kind of slowly but surely healing up. Uh, even the fact that Tony Kelly got two or three games at the end of the mm-hmm. league to get back to full tilt and didn't take long for him to get back into huge scoring form again. They will think now maybe underdogs going into the game against Tipperary, they can turn tip over and blow Munster wide open if it happens. How do yeah. you see it going this weekend? Um, again, tough one to call. If I was if I was to call a victory right now, I, I probably would side with Tipperary, but marginally. Um, I don't think Clare would have gotten much out of the weekend. I don't think Tipperary gave a true blueprint of what they're producing. Um, I still think they're, as I said, they're, they're playing more of a space game and a retaining possession game. So watch practice and quite allow that. It became more of a battle the last day. Um, I don't think you'll see this. I don't think you'll see this, the same type of game plan uh, on 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 the weekend that they produced on uh, on Sunday. So. 
I, I'm looking for I think it's going to be a tight affair I'm interested to see how uh, Tipperary D would pace mm. inside again I know Cahill Barrett is an excellent defender but when the game opened up a bit in the second half space created in front of him he struggled with Desi so Desi hit it, <clears throat> obviously got a lot of ball in the second half and you know that's that's tough to take for a defender so when you have like clear forwards they're, they're speedy by nature like so you've got like the likes of Meehan and these lads who are who are young energetic and you know how is how is the tip backs going to deal with that? Who are who have good size? In fairness, tip tip have good size. When you think about Kennedy, Matter, you know Heffer and Quigley, they're not small guys. They say so. The best way to get after them is put the ball in the deck and make them run. Um, so I'm thinking Clare are going to go that way. I don't think they go a direct route one to fourteen style hurling where they used to with an Aaron Shanahan and a high ball type of game. Um, and I'm interested to see what's the situation with Shane Donnell. You know, it's very quiet about him. Like uh, everyone keeps on saying, I say two or three times now. It's been. He's a week away from training. Maybe he's but is back. He back? Is, he, is he still away? It's been very quiet. You know, it's been awful quiet with him. So I haven't heard. Of, I haven't heard. Of, as I said, a dicky board out of Clare. Like he's Peter Duggan. Is he going to start? Like he, he got reintroduced in the league campaign there. Like will he produce his form of 20, 2018? Hard to know. Like he hasn't heard in a while, to be honest. Hmm. So like he might be off the championship pace. Has the game changed a bit since he last played? It has. You know, the game has probably changed a touch. So like he probably be if he's playing at ten or twelve, he'd be asked to do an awful lot more defensive duties than what he was previously accustomed to. So that's the way the game has kind of evolved a touch. So I don't know what I'm going to get from Clare. Like, will Conlon be centre-back? Who knows? <laughs> you know, like, it's hard to know. Will Tony Kelly be centre-forward or given a free midfield Roman role? Like, I know what I do. I let him midfield and go where he wants. Simple as that and see, and see what materialises. So I have so many questions when I think about Clare and the only way to answer them is to sit back, wait and see what happens the weekend and let's talk about it next week. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be a lot clearer when we see the team sheets come out at two o'clock at the weekend. Oh, I, yeah. I have to admit, right, I kind of enjoy the little bit of intrigue about all this as well where, you know, you read the dispatches and I've been having a quick look at the local papers and Clare and you see that, you know, players are kind of coming back and maybe he'll be back for round two and we're talking about tip and, you know, is Callanan's injury quite as bad as they first anticipated? Will he yeah. be out for the entire round, Robin? Or will we get a shock? on week three or week four where Callanan is able to step back in and play so all this adds to the intrigue of it all because these games come week after week it's not like back in the day where you had a championship game and then nearly had two or three weeks or a month before you played again and yeah. your injuries could heal up it's, uh, it's a constant thing you're keeping an eye on these things and even last week I think we spoke about uh, two or three players and the next thing we heard about injuries were worse than anticipated we definitely doubled Callanan two weeks ago and I think that night Colin Bonner did a press night and announced that he was going to miss most of the championship yeah. so these things change pretty quickly changing tack towards Leinster then and I said we'd go through Munster before I put you through the pain of what happened with Galway at the weekend but I watched this game in the telly in the office and work and my first thought was watching it Galway had so many chances in the first half should have been home and hose by half time given the chances that were created still well ahead like six yeah. points up late in the game you're thinking this has to be done it's two points on the board you can almost feel as if Galway are edging towards the Leinster final because they've won away from home against one of their qualification rivals they should sweep Westmead the week afterwards in Salt Hill and then let's have Cody versus Shefflin on week three and go into the Maybank Hall the weekend with Galway having a chance to pretty much qualify on that week Yeah, and they gave a point away gave it away so I, I think they they 75% gave it away and 25% was taken off them hmm um, so if, if 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 you lose the game, you know the first place I look is look at yourself. So, uh, and I'll, I'll come to the other, other other items in a second. But if you look at yourself and look at Galway, we had so many opportunities to, to close the game out. Plenty of opportunities that we did not take. Um, and it's, it wasn't a, ca- a case that we were struggling to create chances. We had loads of chances. The game plan we had produced in the first half was was open and Wexford up. It, it was like he, yeah. you consider Wellington was what one eleven and we ten wides. You know, so we'd over twenty two shots. 
22 shots and a half is, is, is outstanding especially when you're away from home God like that game should be well out of, well out of, uh, well out of reach but I just got the sense and I have to say it I know people will listen to the pod and they go ah he's bitter there's a bit of a bitter but I thought the referee performance in the second half was, it was extremely poor extremely poor and let's just talk about the Conor Cooney incident for a second so Galway are two points up he puts the ball down he takes 11 seconds to take the free the crowd are roaring the, the ref gets completely overwhelmed by the crowd he gets influenced and he throws the ball in that's all that happened I guarantee the ref wasn't looking at his watch and counting the seconds because no ref does that unless it becomes you know extraordinary you feel it when you're in the game mm. when a guy's taking too much time you can feel you know I won't say you count the seconds but you can feel when he's pulling the piss a small bit you know I've often done it myself trying to take frees or puckouts I've been caught myself and I know myself when I'm taking too much time you know but in that instance the ref got completely swayed and like if he's a type of referee that's, that can't remain impartial and can't remain completely neutral and I suppose think in real time while the crowd runs back he shouldn't be refereeing it's as simple as that I don't want to hear any other any other debate or argument around it because the next three Lee Chin takes it and I saw this in the game he takes 17 seconds why didn't you pull him you know he got completely pulled by it and I, it's not like the hand pass rule where you see probably two or three a game and it, it happens an awful lot of time free takers whether it be a goalkeeper come up to take a penalty like in the Roland whether it be a football player or a football goalkeeper taking their freeze and they take forever you know it's in the game at the moment, so there's nearly some part of an acceptance about it. But Conor Cooney went about his general routine, his standard routine, and the referee pulled him because he got completely swayed by the crowd. And even some of his decisions, and I was talking to a couple of the players um, about him, and they said that he was quite different to most inter-county referees in the way he even spoke to players, uh, which was, again, hard for me to explain on this uh, platform here, but he wasn't of the same type of... Um, I would say communicator standard as the referees put that way. So yeah. was that when they were questioning maybe some of the decisions as the game went on, they were getting a different type of response. Correct. That used as to the get? game as the game went on, particularly in the Garage McInerney, if you remember Garage McInerney was running down the stand side mm. and a shoulder comes across him. Now if it's shoulder to shoulder, it's gonna hit the shoulder. It comes across his face. He turns over and his arm is hit with the hurl. You know, and he gives a free for over carrying. Straight away then I think a couple of Galway boys questioned him and they were met with a I put it this way not a great response I put it that way too, you know and even even the, uh, the lads were saying you got the feel you got the feel in the game as the crowd got more intense and maybe the gap was closing a bit he was nearly favouring Wexford a bit and uh, there was one stage there whereby um, it was in the second half obviously and I think Garage McInerney was, was, was pulled for a free as well and for kind of a, was it a charging situation and in the same situation happens for Pardy Foley on the far side and you know no free and it's like our and it's, you're wondering where's the consistency where, where are we looking at? if we're a team playing and say how do you read a ref and say what's a consistent foul what's not a consistent foul it's hard to know and I just think he got completely swayed with the crowd I like fair juice to Wexford they battled on and battled on they got the goal when they had to get it they got the points when they presented themselves and I'm not looking at, their, at the game saying it's all the referee's fault I'm saying first and foremost Galway didn't win the game I don't think you know Wexford if you're looking at the game itself I don't think Wexford clawed them back I think Galway lost it Simple yeah. as that, you know. I don't think God, like that. Uh, they had so many opportunities. They lost their puck out strategy. You can't underestimate the the importance of Conor Whelan. There was no structure to our puck outs in the last twenty minutes. It was all over the place. It was just long with everything. Wexford won everything, and it came back up the field again. So we just lost our our platform entirely. And even on the last puck out, when Chin got his second last point, Aina should have caught the ball and driven into the stands, put it down as far as he can in the stand, set up a sideline defence, which you practice in training. I guarantee you and then try to get Wexford to work the ball out. Instead, the ball stays in play, picks up, free, game over. Mm. The Conor McDonald goal, 
you talk about like finishes at the weekend it's, it's not as good as say Johnson's finish which is a magnificent finish round him but yeah. for a guy who has to battle pretty much the minute that ball reaches him that's a sheer drive and determination to make sure that that ball finished up in the net from Conor McDonald. Yeah. It's almost the best of McDonald as a target man is what we saw in those three or four seconds from when the ball comes to him and to when it goes into the net. Yeah. He was bulldozing and making sure that that ball ended up in the net. Yeah, it was just pure will. It was pure will and intent. You know, so the, the battle starts the second the ball looks like it's coming to him or even stroke himself and die. I guarantee are wrestling, right? They're wrestling. They're both left-handers, which is tricky. Um, so they're wrestling straight away when the ball is coming in then they're trying to get both of them are trying to hit the ball at the highest point of contact to catch it and, or try to break it down with them ball hits the ground he's got two, two lads around him he, he hits the deck himself he picks it up with a beautiful piece of skill then he drops the ball with, with a hook he still keeps going and going and going and the ball ends up in the net that's what you want from a target man that's what he is first and foremost he's a man you can hit a ball into high you can let, let him have a 50-50 ball and there's a strong chance that he'll break or at least he'll get it himself and you know, his, his pure will and sheer determination to get the ball and put it into the net was exemplary. And again, I'll, I'll contrast that and say, when the ball hit the ground, Galway's defence was poor. We had four players in between Conor McDonald and the goal, and we managed to still let it in at an angle of where he only had probably, I'd say, a foot of open space to hit to get into the, into the goal. So, again, plenty of work runs for Galway when you assess that game, but from, from, from Conor McDonald's perspective, from... You know, even the way Liam Ryan played, Matthew Hannon played in the second half. You know, like they were just God, Dunbar played. They, they really they, they they pulled the game back when they had to pull it back. But I would I would still say on an overall assessment that Galway let it go with fair juice to Wexford. They got a point gained, and who knows what kickstarts the team season? Like they're obviously coming off the back of a difficult game against Waterford. But this this type of game whereby they battled back, we just we we spoke about how the sheer determination that Waterford to grunt through a game against Tipperary. This is very similar. Wexford had never say die ahead. You got the crowd behind them. Big game at home again this weekend, so they need the crowd again. So to, to continue momentum. So if they can get two points this weekend, they've got three points out of a possible four against two very difficult opponents. They're not in bad shape after that. Yeah, it changes the complexity of everything because at the point that Lee Chin comes into that game, it looks like Galway are the only team we're going to win. Yeah. If they had lost that and say the game goes against them against Dublin, their chances of qualifying are almost up in smoke already at that point. Yeah. But yes, I, I look, this is the argument around Chin. We've had this two or three times on the pod because we knew once he came back. Now, all reports in Wexford were he did have a reoccurrence of the hamstring injury issue against Waterford. It maybe wasn't as bad as the initial injury, but that's why they had to ease him back in. That's why he couldn't yeah. start. But you got to see with Chin two things. The physicality that he brings in, which allows him to mix it up a little bit more when he's on the pitch, which I think is really important. And then his long-range free-taking is so helpful to them too. Like Rory O'Connor will, we've talked about this before, Rory O'Connor will happily tap them over from closer range. Mm -hmm. And he's a good free-taker from that range. But having Leach in there for 65s, for the longer-range frees, talk about Dimmer Burns and when Limerick needed to just kind of settle into the game a bit. It's great to have a guy who's got a hammer of a free from long distance to put it over. Yeah. And having that ability with Chin proved crucial in the end. Yeah. If you, if you go back to the week, the, 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 the league games that we were talking about, Wexford come back to the very first day when they played Limerick, a question mark that remained over them was always the free taking. Hmm. They were missing three and four frees every day. So if you can try and you know, bring that down to maybe one free in a game, maximum two, your team will always be in a good shout. Because if you play the type of game that Wexford do, where they run at you, run it straight you're always going to get a number of fouls you're always going to get a number of frees so you must score them frees Stephen Bennett prime example 10 points 10 frees so because you're going to get those and his efficiency rate is excellent so you're going to have to have if you have any 
ambitions or even kind of realistic ambitions of winning an Ireland Championship, you're going to have to have a free taker who's operating the very high 90%. That's why you always had great comfort in the TJs, the Horgans, the Kennings, the Shefflins, who rarely, like, rarely missed a free. And if they did, it was a free that was extremely difficult. So for him to come in and I won't say fix it, you know, uh, because he's had his own issues with free taking in the past, don't get me wrong. But if he can bring the percentages up higher, because Wexford were missing four and five frees, if he can bring it up higher and get them nine out of ten, you know, it, it definitely adds, I won't say a string to their bow, but it just sets the ship a bit better. You mentioned work-ons then for Galway. Is that about just efficiency in front of goal, taking some of the chances that they were able to create last week? Because you would think that Westmead are going to cough up enough chances to allow them to probably get the eye in a bit before the Kilkenny game. And I, I say that with respect to Westmead. Yeah. The first half last weekend, Killian Doyle scores 10 points. They played very well against Kilkenny. Got them in at a very manageable position at halftime. Mm-hmm. Brian Cody <coughs> emptied the bench and brought in some very important players. Uh, some young player called TJ Reid came on for the second half and proved to be quite important. And Kilkenny ended up scoring five goals and they came out comfortable winners in the end. But that's going to happen with Westmead because they're coming from a level that's that bit lower that yeah. if Galway are really up at their normal level for this weekend that game will stretch its all till and Galway yeah. should get the chances and a chance to take them this weekend well they do and they also need score difference they also need to, to, to pull up a score onto Westmead that you know equals or better is what Kilkenny did at the weekend because if you consider draws help nobody and draws what they do is they breed a small bit of you know panic at the end of the round robin championship whereby teams are so close and you need you score different score difference becomes the difference. So looking at that game, I think Shemin Sheffield I'm saying, lads, just keep going for going for going for it, regardless of opposition. I know that doesn't sound great on Westmead's perspective. But you asked me about work ons will I talked to a man yesterday who would be a very shrewd operator when it comes to hurling analysis and he said that the top goal player for possessions was Cahill Mannion, but an awful lot of them were back inside his own forty five and sixty five. You know, that's not where you want him mostly. I would equate that to Keane Lynch getting the ball inside his own 45-65 for Limerick. You know, is that really where he's doing his most damage? It's not. So if you're a work on, it's how do you, it's not, again, it's nothing technical, but how do you get Cahill Mannion on the ball on the opposition 65? Then he'll do ferocious damage and get him running at the opposition defence, you know. And I, was, I just I just wondered when he, when he told me that, is was the Galway game plan centred around getting Cahill on the ball regardless and feeding the forward unit above? And I don't know. So I'm interested to see how, the you know, the round-robin games how they turn out with Cahill and see can, can we get him on the ball further up the pitch can we get him to influence the game more on an attacking perspective rather than a possession perspective so that'll be that's an interesting work on and the second one will is look it's, it's documented all over the place now puck outs you know in the last 20 minutes our puck out strategy just it was non-existent it wasn't there whether it was long from Aina direct to the forwards or uh, a give and go where Dahi He'd give it to Dahi back to Aina, didn't go along. You know, it was kind of the same thing. We're going to have to change up a small bit and we're going to have to really look at other teams and say, how do we take them down throughout our puck out strategy? Because I always say, a puck out is our possession. So if we have the ball, how do we make it utilise our possession? How do I turn that puck out into a goal? You know, and probably lamping it down is grand every now and then. Do not get me wrong, it's grand. But there has to be something a bit more scientific behind it, especially the way today's game is. Well, you're going to look at the game differently to me when it comes to this. So why do you think that puck-out strategy started to go wrong? Because like, I'm watching the game as a neutral and my first thought is, where is the flow of the game changing here and who's starting to take control? And it felt like Wexford were coming back into it. But obviously you're probably watching from a goalkeeper perspective saying, right, we're losing possession here. Yeah. What went wrong in that kind of 20-minute period that meant the Galway couldn't keep the ball the way they were earlier in the game? 
Uh, Wexford did well in the, the isolated die. So, so if you're going to pick a defender, if you're going to drop a man out of your, your forward unit, um, you have to pick a defender who you think, right, they can have the ball. So I think what Wexford did, and it's highlighted when you go to the behind the goal shot. So when you look at, if you went behind Aina's goal and you saw the, the whole picture, obviously, you always saw Dahi was free. So the, the Wexford were quite content to give the ball to Dahi because when Dahi turned around, all the goal players were marked. And I do think an awful lot of the movement stopped in the second half. So Galway's movement of, of trying to open up channels and open up pockets of space by bringing the, the 12 over to 10 and so on, that kind of stopped. And maybe that's true fatigue, I'm not sure. But that, that got neutralised by Wexford. It stopped. And when that happens in, it presents a complete long ball game. You know, so when you, start, when you stop moving and you stop kind of trying to create channels, trying to create pockets of space, trying to get green grass in front of you, that creates a long ball game. And then the game got... It's, the game kind of evolved into that thing. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's hard, it's, again, it's hard to explain. It's, it's, again, you feel it. You know, if you, it's very hard to change this in-game. So you, you can only get so many messages out. But if, if yourself and the forwards aren't on the same page, you're not telling them to move. And if they don't move, you've no other choice. You've absolutely no other choice but to fire it down long. And people say, give the ball to Dahi and work it out. But when Dahi gets the ball, there was then no one looking for it from you know, a half-back line midfield perspective trying to create, create a channel for it. So Dahi had no option but hit it long himself. So what's he supposed to do? And then it automatically becomes a long ball game. That's how it happens. You know, when the game is free-flowing and quick and lads are moving left and right and there's bodies going all sides, you can, you can pick off pockets of space and you can pick off lads in, in areas that, that you, know, you might get later on in the game. So that's, that's how that happened. And how do they manage the game? And if they're going long, Will, if, the way you manage the game, if a man is going up for a ball and a, a long ball, you have to make sure you have people on the break, front, side and back, and just try hold them up. And if the, if the Wexford lads get the ball, or anyone going forward this year, a bit like Limerick does, if they get the ball, have a sufficient amount of bodies that they can't get a pass off or you get a turnover. And then you can build some like your own out. Yeah. A couple of interesting things about Westmead going to play goal with this weekend. David Glennon goes to play against his native county, which is yeah. uh, going to be good fun. Hopefully he's fit to start. Um, again, he hurled quite well at the weekend. Uh, Derek McNicholas, just to give him a shout here as well. So 2006 was the last time the Kilkenny went to TEG Cusick Park. Very similar scenes where a lot of their uh, vaunted players were staying after the game to sign autographs. And I saw a picture of TJ Reid being mobbed by Westmead supporters going along. And there was a couple of thousand people in Cusick Park uh, to watch the game. It just goes through the attraction there is for mm-hmm. Kilkenny coming to town to watch. But 2006, a young Lock Lane forwards, uh, Lock Lane Gales forward even, Derek McNicholas starts the game. Started again in 2022. It's uh, incredible longevity from Derek to be involved in those two championship games, which is such a long period between them. And yeah. you know, Westmead threw in a rookie goalkeeper at the weekend, and he played very well. Made two or three Couple very good saves. saves. Yep. Good Kilkenny, saves. Kilkenny could have had you know a few more goals during the game. And for Westmead, as we mentioned at the very start, their most important game is the last one. They go to Port Leash yep. in what's probably going to be a relegation playoff realistically. Yep. And Leash have got such a horrible injury situation currently, and. If it was different, so they're without Willie Dunphy, key forward, uh, Picky Marr, who was brilliant for a clock ball call all year and would be a yeah. key forward for them. Their vice captain from last year, Podge Delaney, I think is out for the rest of the season, Cheddar Plunkett was saying after the game. This has been very unlucky, and as Cheddar said himself, when a guy gets a four-week or a five-week injury now, it kills you with the round robin, because you can may as well say, effectively, they're not going to be back, have their touch back in place or fitness by the time that the games roll around. Mm-hmm. So that's hard for them to ship those three players been missing. But you'll have seen bits and pieces of it, and there's the, I think there's six or seven minutes of highlights up on this game with Dublin and Leash. 
Leisha right with them uh, throughout the game keep it down to two points um, end rolling again banging in a goal good news for anyone who had him in fancy hurling I made the massive mistake of switching him for Mark Fanning Mark Fanning misses a penalty and Roland scores his close range free so I think uh, he almost got double the amount of points that Mark Fanning got massive mistake by me but anyway um, but that, was, that was a good per- <laughs> yeah moving on before I get too angry about fancy hurling um, but that was a good performance by Leash you know yeah. um, put it up to Dublin uh, for Dublin maybe the way Maddie Kenny looks at this uh, James is the fact that they go to Extra Park they've already got the two points in the bag it was important that they just beat Leash doesn't matter how it came about but still I think Leash will have to take a lot of heart from the way they performed ahead of going to Kilkenny this weekend 100% yeah, absolutely because like when, they, when, when Leash played Dublin last in the league a couple of weeks ago that was their home game um, they got a clipping to be honest they got a bit of a clipping and I'd say a touch of that was in Dublin's mind also and if you look at the game like we were talking about before this the, the Dublin supporters were getting a bit on their back and I just think it was the type of game like which doesn't lend us, it doesn't materialise that, that often that was the type of game that Leash had to take they had to go and take that if, if you're looking for a golden opportunity to secure two points against a big team that was the one when you get that close to a big team you have to you have to go you have to take it and I'd say Leash would be um, I was going to say disappointed I'd say they'd be sick well, they, they didn't take two points out of that you know. especially when they produced again the performance they produced and everyone look at Inder and say you know from him being a goalkeeper or what he's produced in terms of his score next place fantastic but across the board like Leash played a very balanced game it wasn't just one guy or two guys that you know took down the task it was the whole thing defensively they were good I thought attacking they were on form so you know, it's, it's, it's a missed opportunity. But again, it, it's a good stepping stone because they're going to face a challenge, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be better um, this, this weekend. And the challenge for Leash now is can they produce performance better than what they did against Dublin? That's a big question. Uh, yeah, and it's tricky when you're trying to close the gap and you're trying to beat the, yeah. let's say, the established teams within Leinster who expect to qualify. So yeah. you come off the emotional high and Cherrypunk, the manager, said, he has more moral victories. This is about going out and now trying to perform the next week. And he would have traded the performance off for a dirty win by a point if they'd actually yeah. got points on the board. But you go to Kilkenny, they've got Wexford and Galway then in the weeks after that, and then they play Westmead in the last game. So important that it's not a case of they look back on played really well at Parnell Park and then the season went off the tracks a little bit and then you've got a one-off game where you have to try and win against one of your rivals to stay up in Leinster for next year. I think Leash will do okay but I think those injuries are, are going to be very hard for them to actually be missing three nailed-on starters for pretty much the rest of the championship. Yeah. Is very, like very you, you, you made a great point a while ago um, before this about Offaly and you know the, the, the war of attrition what they felt going through the league with, with player losses mm. and I think Leash, Leash going to go through the same thing because they're, they're playing four top counties right now in four consecutive weeks or five consecutive weeks so what 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 will they have on their last day I know the same can be said about Westmead don't get me wrong but what what, what will both them teams have after they get through the four rounds against the big four that'd be interesting to see so if you can form is one thing you know how you're playing is, is obviously huge but who you have available at the last day of the, the last day of the season which it is for the two of them it's the last game who you have available could be hugely important so if you if you lose one or two big players in the next three weeks you know that could that could be your season to find a moment yeah, and look for these panels. I think this is probably an important point, which I was asking Michael Fenley about on the radio at the weekend after Offaly's game against Antrim. Because I'm intrigued to see that they changed things up quite a bit from the relegation game, where they were beaten by ten points by Antrim mm-hmm. and almost won the game in the Joe McDonough at the weekend and scored a goal, went ahead in injury time, and then shipped a goal right at the end of the game to be defeated. And 
Michael Fenney was saying that one of the things that he has thought about now that he's gone through a couple of seasons of managing the team is that in a way there was an advantage in being in Division 2A. And we've spoken a few times about the exposure to Division 1 hurling and how important that is. But he was saying when you have a developing team yeah. and particularly a very small panel of players, sometimes you're better off to be in 2A where you're not shipping those injuries, where you're getting wins and building your confidence versus trying to pick yourself up off the floor yeah. when you play against a Limerick team and you're depleted with injury and you take a bit of a kicking and then you have to face into championship and you don't have that kind of you know good feeling behind you and you know when, especially when it's a young panel guys build a bit of confidence from winning games yeah. as opposed to being beaten heavily and he was saying four or five of the injuries they picked up this year James were actually impact injuries they were um, fractures they were shoulder injuries just they're picking up yeah. these because they're being hit, hit harder than they were before now at least you're a bit more conditioned at Division 1 hurling they have a decade of it behind them but actually, to your point, if you're in a case where your panel is not quite as deep, if you're Westmead, Leash, Offaly, Antrim, by comparison to some of the bigger teams, we talk about Waterford, where like Waterford could nearly hurl two teams in the championship with the strength of panel they have currently. <laughs> yeah, good point. But you're, but you're a smaller county. It's much more difficult to ship those injuries. And challenging, yeah. And like if you lose a big player, I know we referenced Cahill O'Neill and American Trinities, but it's the same feeling when you lose a player of that stature. Mm. You know, if, if, if Leash turned down, I'm just saying theoretically, just theoretically, if Leash somehow lost in Roland, God, it's detrimental to the year, isn't it? Detrimental. It would, if it if Westmead be. lost Killian Doyle, yeah. you know, if Antrim lose Alina Manus, or, or if Offaly lose, let's say, I was, I'd use like an own cat, for example. Jesus, no, that's awful hard to shift as your team because you can't replace him. You just can't because you don't have the squad depth. And even replacing him is one thing, but you, you didn't have to move your team around, tinker with a small bit, because, and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, because you don't have a person who will come in and slot into that specific position with the same influence. That's a big issue for the small counties. Like, so, for example, if, if Galway lost um, Conor Cooney at number 11 tomorrow, someone will come in from number 11 and they'll play that game. If, if, if Antrim lose number 11, they might have to shift some things around to cater for that loss. Yeah. You know, that's, that, 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 that's a huge challenge for the teams, but it's, it's the nature of it. You know, we can't beat around the bush here. They don't have the squad depth. It's up to them to build it. And it, doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. So it's, and again, Watford didn't happen overnight. That happened in Cahill's third season or heading into his fourth you know so or third season excuse me so it doesn't happen today or tomorrow so teams are going to have to really take the bull by the horns themselves and try to put it into place in the yeah. long term great, great start for Antrim by the way in the Joe McDonough with that win against Offaly and we're talking about the Ulster team doing well down went and beat Kerry uh, Kerry seemed that was a surprise yeah and I was surprised Kerry, that one but, that, but that's down backing up what they've done against Kerry in the league and yeah Kerry one of those teams who people thought with their form over the last years and having got to the Joe McDonough last year it was going to happen and then Malumfi comes in they beat Tipperary in what I think was officially called the Munster Cup this year as opposed to the Munster League because of the format of it in pre-season but if you want to call it the Munster League or the Munster Cup we're not going to argue over it but to win that game and to get that kind of confidence boost before they went in most people thought 2A final Joe McDonough final is what Kerry would be expecting Shane Nolan's gone now and there's like a war of words over him departing the panel the management seemed to indicate to the Kerrymen initially that he wasn't happy about being named on the bench for the down game that's what the management has said after the down defeat at the weekend and now Shane Nolan has done an interview today in the Kerryman where he has explained that it was for personal reasons around the birth of his daughter and also trying to give more time to his family company that he's unavailable to train in the way that was expected so therefore he's walking off that's a two time Christie Cup winner walking off the panel and a very important player for them I think it's going to be very difficult for Kerry to qualify yeah, for the McDonough Cup like, final now. just to touch on that briefly do you think mm-hmm. Lunfi could have managed that better? yeah I, I, my, my, I, my opinion is he, he could have I would love to know what the communication was last Wednesday so reading between the lines is reading the two interviews from the Kerryman over the last few days my first thought was a conversation had to have happened 
with Nolan and the management team on Wednesday if he trained on Wednesday and decided he wasn't going to be part of the panel yeah. for this weekend I would love to know what that conversation was I would find it very unlikely James and look you've been in panels where guys would have went and talked to the media after they retired or whatever else like the lads in the panel would be very aware of whether Nolan was annoyed about being dropped or not and he was quick to point out that he'd been a sub in various times over the last decade playing for Kerry and if he was happy to be a sub for managers previously he'd be happy to be a sub now if he was to speak out of turn and say that he was shocked by the fact that Malumfi had said this last weekend, sure his teammates are going to pick up the Kerryman today or pick up uh, articles online and they would very quickly correct the record if he's wrong. I doubt there's anything for Nolan to portray this incorrectly, put it that way. Yeah, I don't know. I just think when it comes to that, I know if, if, if a teammate of mine you know, left a panel and there was a bit of war words, I would just think a closed mouth catching off lights. You know, the, the the less you say, the better. So I don't think anyone in that in that in that group, a player or anyone in the management, will probably talk about that situation again going forward. I think they probably they've closed the book on it. Well, see, Nolan probably felt slighted. I reckon, James. There was like yeah, I reckon there was, there was this impression that he had let his county down and he'd walked away when things got difficult. Yeah, and he wanted to make it very clear. Actually, that's not the reason why. And if that like if that is the case, and I I am saying again, I'm being honest here. I'm siding, not siding, but if I'm assessing it completely from the outside looking in, I I'm believing Nolan. I am, I, I'm believing him more. That his own situation is is the real reason as to why he's left. I don't believe that he's completely left because he's a sub. I'd say there's a bit to play with it. I'd say if he trains Wednesday, and he's looking at his own life situation and understands he's got far more responsibilities, greater responsibilities than, than Intercounty Hurling at the moment, he'd say ah. Right, I I better go. You know, I can't give everything to Kerry right now because I have to give more to my to my children, to my work to provide for my children, etc. That's real, you know. Different for a guy who was 23, 24 who has no children and no mortgage, etc. He can give his whole being and his whole life to Kerry. You know, mm. you see lads centering their careers around it, becoming teachers. I know loads of players who are teachers who are not teachers for the sake of the love of teaching. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. they're doing it because they're their structure and their intercounter career around it you know oh, Aaron Galam was in with some studio a couple of years James and he pretty much said the same he said like he was interested in going on to become a religion teacher that was part of his thinking anyway but he said a massive appeal about it was yeah. I'm finished at a certain time each day which means I can get down to training that's not going to be a problem I'm able to kind of structure my time around it and there's that huge advantage when the summer comes around I'm on the holidays at the time when the most important yeah. hurling has happened here yeah 100% I fully get it you know and I, 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 I have no issue with that do you know what I mean? If you if you can work things best to suit you and suit your interests, fine, go with that. But that's why I say I look at Shane Nolan. I reckon he probably see, he probably see how much how much of himself can he give to Kerry? And if it wasn't sufficient enough in the eyes of management, then they probably part ways. Hmm. And I'd say it was the viewpoint of, of the Kerry management that he, he's walking away because he couldn't give what he, he couldn't give the required commitment levels. And the way that was that was communicated or conversed in the eyes of the media, it's much different than print. I'd say if you're in the room with the two other conversation, it would be a lot more neutral than what we're probably looking at now, because now it's, it's it's Nolan versus Kerry management, you know. Whereas I'd say it was a lot more like less egregious than what what has been portrayed at the moment. Yeah, becomes a bit he said she said. We'll have a look at some of the uh, listener questions that have come in then, because threw it up on Instagram earlier on, and, and I love that one of the ones that uh, was going to be sent by we'll keep it anonymous, which Kilkenny player it was in the hurling panel was going to send. Uh, how many honeymoons are too many uh, when it came to Paul Murphy's non-appearance uh, on the pod today? Uh, but they didn't actually get it through to the off the ball Instagram. So I'm going to throw this up. I think most weeks uh, before we do the pod, it's always a good way to see what people are thinking. Um, this is Patrick Hickey first of all uh, most underrated player on the Limerick team underrated player mm. I, I still think Nicky doesn't get the credit he deserves that's not be, me being a goalkeeper biased 
Is that because um, they score so much to the other end that you don't consider what he does in the goal? I, I do believe so. Like, he, 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 you remember, like, when, when Man United were at the top of their game, you know, Schmeichel said the hardest thing he had to do was, was produce a save in this 85th minute when they were dominating games, you know. Nicky's ability to stay in game is, is fantastic. His puck out strategy is excellent. He makes the right decision nine times out of ten. He's as safe as a house when it comes to handling balls. You never see him drop a ball or, you know, a ball, a touch going away from him. And like, so he just produces a very safe platform. Um, so I think he is definitely one. I also think what Barry Nash provides Limerick in terms of balance, whether that be cornerback, wingback, even fulfilling a, a, a midfielder wing forward role if he's asked to, you know, he, he can do that. So everyone will talk about Hegarty, Lynch, Galan, Flanagan, Hannon, Hayes. You can list them off as many of them. But I think Nicky Quaid, if, if I was to give my answer of the top two, I would say Nicky Quaid or Will O'Donoghue, one of the two. Yeah, uh, look, Will O'Donoghue gets on so much ball as well. Like He's such an important link for them. I know we talk about how much that half-back line do as a platform, but he gets through untold work and it's yeah. year after year he does so. And Maybe it's because he plays in a slightly more understated position because Keane Lynch might play the fancier pass just a few yards further forward, but yeah. he's always recycling, he's always working, he's always harrying. Like, very, very, very good player indeed. Um, this one coming in from Liam O'Brien. Lots of criticism of Cork defenders, but they have very few ball winners to aim up front. I think there's probably two sides to that. On the one hand, you said it was static sometimes, the movement from the forward line, which put pressure on the defenders. But also, did they maybe lack primary possession winners in the forward line too? Yeah, and like, it doesn't have to be primary possession. It can be secondary. You know, so again, I can only speak in my own experiences. Like if, if, if the system is breaking down and the passion you're trying to produce isn't working out, you know, and you can't get a perfect ball to one of your forwards, right? Fair enough. There comes a time where you're going to have to have a guy up there who'll put the hand up. And I have enough fingers and toes multiplied by 10 to, to count the amount of times Canning or Johnny Glynn put up their hand and said, throw it down here. You know, throw it down here to us and we'll, we'll take care of it. I've watched them lads so many times. Canning, Glynn, Donlan, you know, like when... when Not to put across you here, but Glynn, how good is he in the air? I saw the clip of him at New York at the weekend. Oh, he's unstoppable, yeah. He's an absolute... He's up above two Sligo lads catching the ball. Do you know, I used to look at him and think he's a caveman because when he when he puts his hands down, right, his fingers are nearly passing out his knees. You know, he's just huge, like and like a lovely fella, and he's he's but he's tall. He's so rangy. I say his wingspan is seven foot, but he the kid, the guy can jump. You know, and like his timing is perfect. I mean, he hits the ball at his absolute peak when it lands on top of him. You, you see him catching the ball, and he's not catching it off out in front of him at head height. He's catching it way above himself. You know. At, at his highest peak so he is an absolute huge loss to Galway and I don't think anyone really obviously this, the year, years have passed since he has played with us uh, or played with them should I say mm. <laughs> with the lads but and people have kind of forgotten about him somewhat a bit but Jay's I have forgotten about him because his level of importance to a team like Galway is just huge you, you imagine that day against Wexford now last year if we put down seven or eight I guarantee you he, 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 scored, he uh, catches five you know. that kind of weapon that kind of outball when you do need to mix it up is remarkably handy to have because it's going to keep the defence honest too like if you can That's drop it. the ball over to Glynn there's no way they can push up on all your puckouts then yeah and but I go back to the question I didn't see the leadership I didn't I, didn't, I can't no, I wasn't there okay but in, I've, I've seen Cork enough times and I've seen them uh, you know in, in heavy situations live as well whereby I don't see lads put up the horn and say give it to me put it, put it down here and I don't see him talking to his, his teammates around him say right come over here lads the ball's coming here let's 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 create numbers over here let's get the ball to ground we don't have to win a primary let's just get the ball to ground and create a rook and try to rock something from there because anything can happen in rooks you know the, the game kind of develops a bit different than when a primary primary ball uh, is won so 
they, they do lack the leaders I'm sorry I have to say it but I just like Patrick Horgan can only do so much he's inside the corner he's primary, his primary position it's not his game to go out and win dirty ball high ball puck outs that's not what he's built upon you know it's like asking Garrett Hegarty to be a wing back I just don't think you're getting the best of him out of that you know so I think other lads have to step up and I'd love to see Harnley start and Robbie O'Flynn and you two boys right you two lads are our focal points you control it you just take care of it simple as that you take care of it or if Tim O'Mahony if you want to go for one you go get it uh, we've got uh, Keown Craiga which I think we kind of we talked touched on this a little bit earlier but can you see Cork progressing out of Munster with their current game plan so do Cork need to change if they're going to get out uh, defensively yes yeah mm. well, I think you know, if, if, if we see now if Cork's plan A breaks down their plan B doesn't work at all so Limerick have Cork's plan A down to a T they can neutralise that and then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one so their game plan is set against is set to a certain level Will mm. they'll, they'll, they'll win a certain amount of games against you no know, quality opposition to be honest but if they're to progress into an Ireland winner they have to change their, they have to change their system they have to become a lot better defensively and a lot better from, from a, a situational perspective i.e. puck outs dead balls sidelines etc I think I know the answer to this one. This is uh, Quiva 104. Uh, will Limerick win the All-Ireland after that Cork performance? And Quiva has an avatar of a Limerick crest. So I'm guessing that Quiva will say, yes, they definitely will. If I was someone looking at this and I thought Limerick were favourites going into this and people can point back and say, hey, wait a minute, power rankings, you had them in third, you had them in fourth. The caveat every time that the power rankings were announced were, if Limerick play the way that Limerick have in the last few seasons, which is what we saw against Cork, this Limerick team is a bit ahead of everyone else. I think that's still the case, James. I, I and I won't argue that whatsoever. When we're doing the power rankings, it's a bit of crack. I was doing, we're doing it in current form. If we were to do it for the Ireland Championship, you look at the Paddy Power Rankings and say, right, that's that's them over there. Limerick are still the number one team. Will they win Ireland? There's 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 a nine out of ten chance to win. You know, there is a nine out of ten chance to win. And the only team the only team that I believe, to be honest, that has the 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 cojones to take them down at the minute is, is Watford. You know, they have the best balance from a from a game plan perspective, physicality, um, organization, and then the clientele that they have at at their own disposal. That they're probably best suited to take to take Limerick down. But again, like I said a few minutes ago, will they probably will have to play them three times, and if Limerick takes them down twice, Jesus, <laughs> it's tough for Watford to take. Like, but if it's one all, you know, if it's one all, if if heading into an Ireland series, you know, that's. Jeez, that's 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 mouthwatering stuff for us. I know I liked about uh, Garrod Hegarty when he was on OTB last week was that he mentioned the fact that it was put to him. Yeah, do you kind of want to get to the level of the Kilkenny team of the late two thousands? And he said something like they genuinely believe, which is that Limerick have to win an awful lot more before they're considered in the same bracket as those teams. So yeah. I think Limerick still have that hunger. They're chasing history to a certain extent because this is going to become probably the best Limerick team of all time because of just the consistency of success, the style of hurling and whatever else. Yeah. But there's that feeling within Limerick that they know they need to become winners and winners and winners and winners and become serial winners like that Kilkenny team to be considered in the same bracket. This could be three in a row. This could be four in five years. This could be a kind of an era-defining team, potentially. Like, to Quiva's yeah. point, it could go way beyond this year. I, I would probably make Limerick favourites for the All-Ireland next year even if they didn't win it this year. Yeah, because their age profile suits it. Like, mm. okay, so let's let's just assess Limerick for a moment, and let's assess their best player. Uh, let's take Hinnich. So, if you were to contrast that against Kikini, their best player at the time, Henry Sheffield. So, Henry has ten Irelands. 
11, isn't he? He did a lot of his best hurling even when he was in his later years. I think he finished to 11, didn't he? He's 10 in Ireland. Yeah. But he, he played more as 11, so you're, you're, you're straight away looking back and say, right, will Keane Lynch get 10? Oh, jeez, that's a fair... Well, he'd have to win, like a bit like Henry did, he'd have to win all Ireland nearly every year in order to do so. Like, it, just, it amplifies how incredible some of those players were. Like, it's scary stats when you start looking at most of them have an all-star pretty much to go with every All-Ireland that they won. And we yeah. talked about Park Mara earlier and the fact that he won an all-star every other year throughout his career and finished up with seven was just incredible. Yeah. To be able to do that, but add an All Ireland to it nearly every year, just goes to show how remarkable that Kilkenny team was. Un- unbelievable. Sometimes lost with recency bias because we look oh. at the Limerick team, we go, "Ah, oh, they're fantastic," and then you think back to some of those teams, and they span over like a group of players. But you'd like a few of the constants, like JJ, Tommy, Henry, these players all the way through, Michael Fenley, these lads who were yeah. along for pretty much all the success. They were just serial winners year after year. It's incredible. Yeah, and I, I, I'm interested to see how this all pans out because. You probably had over the course of how many years has that been out? Nearly close to 20 years, Will. Uh, Kenny probably had three different sets of forwards, three different sixes. You know, maybe give or take, right? And I'm interested to see have Limerick got the next generation of player, all the 20s coming through to have the next set of forwards? And I, I, truthfully speaking, I don't know. I haven't tracked them that close enough. We won't find out probably until two, three years' time. So at that stage, will Limerick have five at Ireland's? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they probably will like we're in the 22 season already let's just presume for the crack they win this year's at Ireland they now have four you know where will they be after 23, 24, 25 will they have seven no I don't think they will I do think they'll have minimum five but I don't think they'll have seven so you, you are heading towards the next crop of players coming through because there's only so much hurling the, the current guys can do because the current guys at the moment are on a run of probably seen 17 you know so this is their 17, 18, 19, 21 this is their 6th season fast forward another 3 years that's their ninth season how much more can they produce at that level hard to know some of them will obviously stay some of them will get injured some of them might leave who knows so to say that they they will exceed Kikini is a bold statement at the moment and I do think they'll have to win more but it's a very very heavy <laughs> tough task at the moment uh, look aside from that Cody's a total outlier both himself and Mickey Hart particularly and then there's always that chance that Canark gets itchy feet at some stage and wants to go off and manage a football team. And like he's built yeah. up that CV now with everything he's done with the Limerick Curlers. Then maybe he might go, hey, you know what? Limerick footballers are going great. They're in Division 2 at the moment. Maybe that job might come available in the next year or two. He might get interested or someone might approach him to come in and become part of their backroom team. John Kiley might get to a point where he says, I've achieved everything I can. A bit like Alexander. There's no more lands to achieve. We've yeah. got multiple All-Irelands and multiple Munsters and league titles and I'll go off into the sunset and that change might change things. I'm always wary of making predictions about dynasties when there's yeah. no way I would have seen Dublin fall in the way that they have whereby Dublin are now going to be a Division 2 football team next year yeah. you told me two years ago this Dublin team believable that maybe they narrowly lose an All-Ireland semi-final but I would have never thought that after that they would then get relegated down to Division 2 of the league I would have said you were yeah. crazy I thought Dublin were going to win three or four of the next five All-Irelands so it can happen fair, fair point and I, again I, I just wonder like would I, look, I'm only, we're having the crack here. Hmm. Would someone like Cork come and throw the book at Knurk, the checkbook? And we can get into expenses all the way flipping like here, but the fact of the matter is, they can find the ways around to pay that man, right? So this, is you, would, this is you saying that like one of the biggest counties in the country would say, if you can't beat them, you get the guy who is motivating them. them to win. <laughs> you robbed them, yeah. <laughs> like, if you can't, like, would someone like Cork, 
or again I'm just throwing it out there for the crack would a Dublin come and say right Paul we'll pay you whatever you want just come down and say and, and see if you can implement what you do in other places with Clare and with Limerick you know is it a possibility probably is it likeable is it, is it, is it likely probably not you know but again it's, it's there I, I wonder would that happen um, will will Limerick be playing Division 2 Ireland in 3 or 4 years I don't think so <laughs> no, no I, I, I no. think unfor- unfortunately the very structures that we have bemoaned at many times on this show about how difficult it is with promotion and relegation this might be as bad as it gets for Limerick the way they started the league this season and even in the last game they were able to get over Offaly who were the promoted team from the year before and stay in 1A and even if they had lost that game they would have beaten Antrim on neutral soil to stay up it's it's far more difficult to actually get relegated if you're a top team in it's like United the year they won didn't play in the FA Cup Limerick might claim the league league next year Or, or maybe, like maybe it gets to a point where you actually trial players out. Like to your point, if if say they decide that they've got a good group of players that come through, because everyone kind of talks about this 2017 generation of tracking it back four or five years beforehand, where they identified minors in 20s and they put them on really good conditioning programs, and it was all about getting them to a position where a group of players of this age profile, which we're talking about right now, were fostered all the way through. And Limerick put everything in place. God, you're pretty much going back to 2010 or maybe a little bit earlier when they started really kind of ramping up the development. If they feel that they've got maybe a group of players who are really good, why not try them out in the league? Because yeah, fair point. Like league titles don't matter a whole lot if you've won three All-Irelands in a row. League titles don't matter. Oh, look, look, stop. Like, oh, no, don't ruin it for Waterford people here. Let them enjoy the success. I will say, it's lovely to win. It's beautiful to win and it's great to, to, to look back on that as, as a singular memory. But if you're looking at legacy and what you're really setting out to do, it's championship, by the way. That's it. Yeah. No two ways about it. Henry Sheffield would just said it's 10 in Ireland. I haven't a clue how many league titles he has. No. Not I, remember when he, I remember when you retired. It actually, like, it wasn't even in the conversation. So it was, you were counting up what he'd won with Ballyhale. You were counting up what he'd won with Kilkenny. You were adding those numbers together. You were putting yeah. the amount of Leinsters kind of at a push into it. And then after that, the league was very much forgotten about. It was like, I yeah. won three or four league titles along the way. But Correct. realistically, it was Celtic crosses. And that man has enough 100%. for five or six different uh, uh, careers for people. Um, before we finish, let's just do a quick fire then on the results in Leinster because we kind of we talked around the games as opposed to going for predictions yeah. on them. I'm going Wexford to beat Dublin, even though I'm maybe a little bit more sheepish about Wexford with the way they hurled last week. But I think maybe they'll iron out some of those flaws and Wexford will beat Dublin this weekend for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry much that one. I think Wexford did beat Dublin by more than three. Okay. And then... I hate to make these sound like foregone conclusions, but they are kind of imbalanced fixtures in many ways. Yeah. Kilkenny to beat Leash then? No problems? Yes, I think Kilkenny beat Leash by more than 10. Okay, and Galway to beat Westmead probably by something similar. Galway have to beat Westmead by more than 15. Yeah, it was, what was, I think it was 15 points last week against Kilkenny, so Galway will have, have to at least be 15. matching that result. Because there, there is yeah. there is that possibility, James, at the end of this, because of the draw, like Dublin Wexford could draw again. Like that could easily happen this weekend. Yeah. The next thing, it gets a bit messy on the permutations if teams are potentially finishing level on points. And I don't need to remind you of a few years ago when it went into the last round of the round robin and draws had kind of changed the complexion a bit. Yeah, it, it does. Like, like draws are funny because the like games that never happened. Mm. So obviously with Wexford, um, that game, like, you're just, it's just like Grand Zero. It's like you have nothing, you know, and like if it comes down to, especially with the three places, you know, not two, three, but the draw becomes even, I was going to say more important, but more effective and more in, in, impactful on, on the whole overall structure of the game. Because let's, let's just say overall, theoretically, can you finish top? Yourself and Wexford in a dogfight to see who finishes second. You know, yeah. I, I, for me, I want the fastest route in Ireland title as possible, and that's getting into the Mr. Final and moving on from there. 
and also benefit to playing the provincial final as well so yeah I think that's uh, the way we're going to go for this weekend we'll be back as a trio next week because Murphy will be back from his travels whether his wedding ring is still there after uh, I won't say wasting time uh, watching the games but sitting down for three hours three and a half hours at the weekend and then missing the actual pod recording he wasted a good bit of his new wife's time on that but what can you do He's well, I, hope he, I hope he bought her a nice little spa treatment today I really do um, I, I hope as well that they went on the safari because you were saying like you went on safari before I've heard mates when he went to South Africa they went on safari and the animals were asleep when they were going around like is there that risk the safari could actually be quite boring the, the safari was okay I'll tell you this very fastly right and the oh. wife's going to shoot me about this now on our last night we did, we did a night safari so okay. we out obviously when it's dark and thunderous enough night but we were staying in this safari area where there was a nice little trail up to the lodges you weren't really in the hotel the hotel was was merely the restaurant and kind of the, the lobby in for access in access out Every, everyone stayed in their own lodges as we're walking in on the last night I turn and we're with another couple from Kerry there's four of us and then we've our our, our steward whatever you want to call him and he's in front of us or behind us excuse me and we're walking towards the lodge and just as we turn out the hotel there's this big leopard right right in front of us and I just said whoa lads that's an effing leopard <laughs> you know <laughs> and the steward goes in the thickest African accent he goes yes it is <laughs> he said don't move he said nobody move right and what does my wife do she turns and she breezes past me as fast as Anthony runs and actually the leopard starts moving so we all run back into the hotel anyway so that that showed me two things number one the wife doesn't listen we know that and number two she didn't care about me at all she ran clean by me <laughs> And if I did it to her, I'd be single as we speak right now. But uh, yeah, so, so my point being is the safari was quite boring. It was all right. It was fine. You, you got know, to see a leopard a couple of feet away from you. Yeah, but closer than I'd like. You know, <laughs> and then I went back Googling the leopard and I, I discovered he could lift 100 kilos up a tree. So he'd definitely take me down. How quick, was, <laughs> no. how quick was her turn of foot if she got back to the hotel without the leopard? He didn't, by the time the steward had said don't, she was gone. Right, she had turned and gone back into the hotel, nearly closing the door behind us, behind her. You know, and I was just thinking, my God, this is what this is what love is, <laughs> leaving me to the <laughs> to to be a meal for this leopard. Oh God! But I tell you, it's quite an experience. It's one thing looking at them in a zoo, but when they're up front and literally five meters away from you. Different kind of fish then, you know what I mean? <laughs> I hope Murphy is a far more sedate uh, safari. I hope he gets to get loads of interesting pictures of the animals, uh, which maybe we can stick in a pod next week. He's an army man. He likes to be pampered. He probably wouldn't mind it. No, <laughs> go on. James, enjoy the chat as always. We'll see you back for episode 10 next week. Cheers, Will. Thanks.